Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for for more details. Hey, warmer from Evo. Welcome to Love Las Vegas for Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, we've got an excellent podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, we are going to be joined by one of our good friends, Blake Lovell, who does amazing work over there at Southeastern 14. He's going to be seeing a lot of SEC action on Tuesday and Wednesday, so we're going to be talking with him about the games that we are going to be seeing on Tuesday. We're going to be talking with him about what to make out of the big four in the SEC, which I consider to be Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, along with Alabama. And the fact that Alabama has been looking pretty darn rock solid here over the last week or so as well. So we're going to be taking a look at the lay of the land in the SEC in segment number two in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe does not matter as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, terrible fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Did not get in any of those Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a great day of college basketball on Monday. A brief one, and I'm doing this as a lot of these games have yet to finish up because the Greg Peterson experience on Visa, the Sports Bank Network. That is from midnight to 3 Eastern time. So it's going to be more of a brief recap on this one. But let's see what we've all gotten on this Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. In the biggest game from Monday that went final, you really only had two power conference games. You did see Duke be able to take it to Virginia Tech by a count of 77 to 67. Duke, they had a modest lead throughout the entirety of the game, and they were just really able to maintain in this one. Jeremy Roach did a solid job putting in their 17 points. For Duke, they go 9 of 17 from 3, and for Virginia Tech, just 6 of 22 from distance. Virginia Tech honestly did a solid job of being able to win the turnover battle by kind of 14 to 4, but they also got just completely plastered on the glass. As he had 9 points, 10 rebounds out of Jared McCain. Virginia Tech as a whole, they had 20 rebounds in this one. Kyle Filipowski, not his best game, but it was enough to be able to get it done. 14 
14 points, 8 boards. Would have liked to seen a little bit better than 2 of 5 at the free throw line, but just a case where Virginia Tech couldn't get really anything whatsoever off the bench, and with them not being able to can threes, that resulted in a little bit of a doomsday scenario for them. Currently doing this as Houston versus Texas is just getting going towards the beginning part of the second half there. Houston currently up by a count of 36-25, to 25, and it has been a no-good, very bad, terrible year for Texas if you've been betting on them against the spread. Entered in this one 6-14 and 14 against the spread in Houston. Despite the fact that they've been laying so many big numbers, they're currently 11-8-1 against the spread. Don't want to give them the one quite yet because the second half has just started, but you can tell in the first half, Texas, they were able to get off to a relatively okay start, but they're just losing the battle on the glass right now against Houston. Houston is just such a sharp team at being able to execute in general, and they've really been cutting down on the felling, not allowing teams to get to the free throw line as much as well, so that has been very beneficial. Currently doing this as a lot of SWAC action is going on, and your top team out there in the SWAC with regards to being able to cover is Alabama State at the half up on at Texas Southern by kind of 31 to 25, one of the few teams in the SWAC that has been able to play defense, and they were three and a half point underdogs going into that one, and then your biggest fade out there in the SWAC has been Arkansas Pine Bluff, who they have played all but three of their games to the over this far this season. Right now, that's a grave peril, though. They had a very nice first half against Grambling, 37 to 23. They were about a six and a half or so point underdog, as Joe French was able to put in their 15 points in the first half, and Pine Bluff is honestly a really good three-point shooting team. They entered into this game shooting north of 38% from distance. They went 9 of 22 from three against a Grambling team that last season, they were a top 20 team in terms of points a lot on a purpose possession basis. This year, they're well outside the top 250, and they just got completely cooked in that first half. So, we shall see if there's going to be a little bit of a reversal there, and then we always get some good Southland play as well, though. This team has really been slip-sliding. New Orleans, they fall to 7-10 against the spread. They just get completely lambasted by Lamar, who's going to go to 12-6-1 against the spread. Doing this with about two minutes remaining, but this game is in the books. Lamar, up 93-69. to They were laying about 9.5 points on the close, and for Lamar, they didn't even go in a flamethrower mode from three-point range or anything like that. They just did a really nice job getting to the free throw line, going 25-27 at the charity strike. B.B. Knight was able to put in there north of 20 points, and while you've got Jordan Johnson on the side of New Orleans, who's been able to average north of 20 points per contest, had just 14 in this one, team really doesn't have much else, so that has been a little bit of a concern for them. A few other games that went final, you saw Coppin State have another pretty deplorable showing with regards to their offense. They lose to Howard by a count of 81-66. to On the closing number, I believe that this one did go over there, as this was a closing total of right around 135. Coppin State has been one of your best under teams in all of college basketball, a team that is second worst in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. So a relatively rare over for a compensate team that was just five overs and 13 unders going into the night on Monday. We have been noticing a lot of unders in Texas A&M Corpus Christi games, and Corpus Christi now 12-5 and five to the under. They take it to Texas A&M Commerce by kind of 69-54. to 54. This team has just been really sticking teams into the mud all season long as for Commerce. They go a poultry 5 of 30 from three-point range in this one, so weren't able to get anything generated whatsoever. Meanwhile, New Orleans, they're going to go to 12 and 5 to the over thus far this season, and Lamar 13 overs and 6 
six-unders for them thus far this season. And Southeast Louisiana, they've been playing quite a few unders as well. They take it to Houston Christian by a count of 80-58. to 58. This Southeast Louisiana team has now played six overs to just 13 unders. This was a total that closed more around about 139 and a half in for Houston Christian. They've been a team that's been very much all over the place. Almost as all over the place as what we saw in the Patriot League with our DK Network right up pick back on track. We had a pair of losses over the weekend, but we bounced back on Monday thanks to a very, very big doldrum at the end of this game. It was not looking good as this was a contest that had 115 points up on the board with 721 remaining. And then from there, we got a grand total of 13 points in the final 721. So the minions cheer for that one. 65 to 63. Holy Cross with the comeback winner as Holy Cross went 7 of 15 from three par range. Boston U, they went 7 of 20 from three with hitting all those threes in the first half. Both of these teams went in inferno mode from three in the first half and then they went as cold as an igloo in the second half for Holy Cross it was the double-double, 12 points, 12 rebounds of Kalo Kenny that was really able to lift the team over the top. And it has been a rough year for Holy Cross, not going to lie. They've been one of your bigger fades out there in the Patriot League. This win and cover, that pushes them up to 7-14 against the spread. While Boston U, 7-13-1 against the spread. So it's not been savory on either side. And do have to update this. We've got about 13 minutes remaining in the second half. And Mississippi State currently down to Southern. 58 to 35, your nation's least efficient offense. Right now, shooting 46% from the floor, but they've got 13 made buckets of 12 turnovers. So, not looking too terrific for them. And what else has not been looking too terrific recently has been taking overs in college basketball over the last seven days. Things have been very underwhelming recently, as we have seen the under hit at a, about a 53.7% clip with a few games from Monday pending 175 unders to 151 overs. Meanwhile, home underdogs still struggling a little bit. Last seven days, 53, 50 and one against the spread. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the entirety of the college basketball season, home underdogs hitting at about 49.3%, 442, 455, and 16, and overs still hitting at about 51.4% from the year, 1,747 overs to 1,651 under. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we got on a pretty brief Monday on college basketball. Now let's take a look at the SEC landscape with our good friend Blake Lovell of Southeastern 14 on the flip side here on Coast to Coast Seats with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of the East. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. 
Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Career Builder is made for people who have that thing. You know, those superpowers that make you good at your job. The skills you bring to work. And Career Builder knows those skills make you right for other jobs too. Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes, and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Career Builder is made for people who have that thing. You know, those superpowers that make you good at your job, the skills you bring to work. And Career Builder knows those skills make you right for other jobs, too. Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes, and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. Welcome back here, Lovey Las Vegas, for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops Peters, and now part of the Visa Family a Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man. It's Blake Lovell. He does an absolutely tremendous job over at Southeastern 14. Take a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball. He is out there in the SEC, but that said, he does a great job covering all 362 Division I teams. We've seen a lot of wild and craziness. He's done a great job of being able to sift through it all, lend tremendous insights, and every single time he comes on the show, I feel like we get a little bit smarter, and you're able to follow him on Twitter slash X at the Blake Lovell, last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L altogether, and Blake, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on as always, Greg. Thank you for joining me, Blake, and Blake, my goodness, the SEC is so fascinating right now. Yeah, Kentucky won a game where they don't get past the 70-point plateau against Arkansas over the weekend. We were talking about Auburn perhaps being the most complete team in the 
SEC last week. They lose two games this past week. I just see wildness and the craziness of the SEC. It is there, but out of what we've seen the last week, week and a half or so in the SEC, is there maybe a team, is there maybe a result that stands out to you the most? Because it feels like every single time, it feels like we have the SEC figured out when you get thrown a monkey wrench. It's pretty simple. It seems like these days in the SEC, don't, don't go on the road and play games because if you do, it doesn't turn out well, or at least it hasn't for a couple of these teams in particular over the past week. And that specifically was, was Auburn and Kentucky, I think, because like you said, I don't think Auburn played that bad. Now, I know the fan base is not exactly thrilled right now, even though they're 16 and four and their 16 wins are by double digits, as we know. But, you know, back to back losses, two kind of games where they had opportunities, they couldn't shoot the ball well enough. And I think that becomes, you know, maybe a theme for them moving forward. But I also don't know that I want to completely overreact to a team losing on the road, because as you've seen and we've all seen, it's just kind of been that year in college basketball where top teams have just not fared well uh, in road games against other teams that aren't that bad. Mississippi State don't think they're that bad. I mean, look at what South Carolina did against Kentucky. That South Carolina team is 17-3 and three now. That is a team that I think a lot of us just were convinced was going to be the 14th best team in a 14-team SEC. And they're 17-3 and three and playing some really good basketball right now, and they just took it to Kentucky because – you know, they were the more aggressive team. They were the more physical team. And I think that's what we're seeing in the SEC is these home teams are really kind of taking a stand. You know, it certainly didn't happen with Arkansas, but as we know, they've had their own issues. I think really the things that have stood out the most, Greg, is just home teams kind of really stepping their game up, dominating in some of these games so far. And, you know, teams like South Carolina, Georgia, teams like that Ole Miss, you know, all kind of right there in the SEC title conversation, at least almost halfway through uh, conference play. Yeah, it's been really interesting to take a look at these teams being able to rise up. And I do want to get your thoughts on Alabama because Alabama is one of those conflicting teams where if you look at the metrics, if you look at Kempom, Bart Torvik, insert your favorite person with regards to the metrics here, they really like this team. The pollsters really don't, and I lead much more towards the metrics itself. Alabama, as we know, they're going to have volatility with the way that they shoot threes, but I thought that it was incredible what we saw against LSU over the weekend. And I think that this is an Alabama team that does deserve to be in that conversation of the top four teams, which right now in the SEC, I probably put as Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, and then you have to throw in their Auburn as well. I don't know if you have disagreement there, but was very impressed by what I saw from them this weekend. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at Alabama, they are clearly a team that's gotten better defensively. I mean, that was the big talk earlier in the season when they're losing some of those games, you know, with one of the toughest schedules in the country. They just were not playing well enough on the defensive end to be able to find ways to win those games. And now you see what they're doing really since that Arizona loss, which was, you know, a month and a week or so ago now. You know, that's been a while. And they've just played some really good defense since then. And I know they just give up 88 to LSU, but, you know, hey, they scored 109, right? And I think that's the other thing. If this Alabama team can just continue to find ways to be good defensively, they don't have to be great. They don't have to be elite. They just have to be good. If they can do that, their offense, it's been what it is pretty much the entire season. I know they only scored 71 points at Tennessee. They didn't play well on offense in that game. But you know what? It wasn't a great offensive game. They still scored 71, which there's a lot of SEC teams right now. If they don't play well offensively, they're probably not getting the 65. So I think when you just kind of look at it from that standpoint, they just have so many guys offensively. We've seen it, right? I mean, look at the LSU game where, I mean, they hit 14 threes. Mark Peters didn't make any of those. And it's just like, that's what Alabama can do, whether it's Latrell Wrightsell, Ryland Griffin, Grant Nelson has been more aggressive offensively, Aaron Estrada. I mean, you know, they beat Auburn without Estrada doing 
anything from a points production standpoint. I think Alabama, as usual, their depth, their overall offensive capability, the style that they play, if they can just keep things where they need to be defensively and at least keep getting better, they are probably going to be a team that I would be surprised if they drop out of this SEC title race in any way, shape, or form. In fact, you could get kind of close here over the next couple of weeks, depending on how some of these road games go. They play three of their next four on the road. You know, if they win a couple of those, then you're starting to talk about maybe Alabama as the favorite potentially because they get the rematch at home against Tennessee. Of course, they've got to go to Auburn, but they got to go to Kentucky too. But I, I think, again, their offensive capability, they can win all these games. Yeah, they certainly can. And with this Alabama team, you always have the question marks with regards to the defense. You were certainly bringing that up, but this is a team that offensively, they are able to fire on all cylinders. And this is a bunch that I do think that moving forward, they are going to be a team that's going to be just a massive force out there in the SEC. As joining me on the show, we do have Blake Lovell. He does such tremendous work over at Southeastern 14. Joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And Blake, we are going to have a lot of interesting matchups that are going to be coming up this week. We are starting to get a lot of those big giant rivalries in college basketball as well. But I do think that it's going to be really interesting to see how Auburn is able to bounce back because I was alluding to it a little bit earlier. When we last talked, we were talking about Auburn perhaps being that top team out there in the SEC, being one of the most complete teams in all of college basketball. Now they have to respond to two straight losses. Granted, they're going to get Vanderbilt again and on the road against Ole Miss coming up this week before a big matchup against Alabama once again. But that said, what did you make out of Auburn this weekend? Are you a little bit more out on them? Or did you think that it was just a product of two really tough scheduling spots on the road? Yeah, I think what's going to keep Auburn in the mix, and I do think a lot of it had to do just with bad scheduling on the road. I mean, just running into two teams that, again, we know what Alabama can do. We know that Mississippi State's already beaten Tennessee and Starkville. So I don't think you should be that upset if you're, you know, looking at Auburn and saying, wow, do we just knock them out of the picture? I mean, I don't think you can completely erase the 16 wins in dominant fashion. And if people will say, well, they played inferior teams, that's fine. But there are some teams I see in the SEC or elsewhere in college basketball play inferior teams and let them hang around and hang around and hang around. Auburn hasn't done that at all this year. Again, it's just going on the road, playing tough games. I said a while back, maybe a couple weeks ago, I'm like, find me the weakness on this Auburn team. And the, the quickest part of the conversation was like, well, they may not have a true weakness, but you could say that maybe just their three-point shooting is not what it needs to be, although I wouldn't call it a complete weakness yet. Well, now if you look at the past couple games, you know, you look at the fact that they go 5-25 of 25 against Alabama, they go 6-24 of 24 against Mississippi State. It may start to be into that category where we classify it as, hey, if you're going to beat Auburn, you found their weakness, and that is just not being able to consistently make shots. And it's also just saying, hey, we're going to let you take those shots, and Auburn being okay to do that. And I think, you know, you could even see some frustration from Bruce Pearl after that Mississippi State game where it's like, hey, at some point, we've got to understand we're not hitting shots from outside. Um, so I think if they just focus in on what their strength is, which is we know, Greg, it is their depth, and it is having a player in Janai Broom who just can do everything. If they would just kind of keep that focus and understand that they can still be a very balanced team scoring-wise, but everything still kind of has to run through him, then I think they're going to be okay. But if they start to get into that habit, like some teams do, where teams start to realize, you know, we can just kind of pack it in on you. We don't really have to guard you that far out. And they just keep taking three after three after three. I don't think that's going to be the formula for the success for this team long-term. But they're still great defensively. They're still a really good offensive team. But they've just got to understand, I think, what got them to this point 
rather than maybe reverting back to trying to, to take too many threes. Yep, I do think that that is so key because when a team just lives and dies by the three, that turns into a lot of volatility. Some teams can have success with it. Alabama certainly has been one of them, but as we know, that leads to a little bit more of a dangerous game. And we've got a pair of teams on Tuesday that they really do a good job of not falling into that. As joining me on the show, we do have Blake Lovell, who does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14. Joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And I want to talk to you about this game. We've got Tennessee versus South Carolina. It's no surprise that Tennessee has been one of the top teams in the SEC. A lot of people saw this coming. Not a lot of people saw anything whatsoever coming out of South Carolina. As a matter of fact, when we were doing our preseason preview for this conference, we both thought that this was going to be the dead last team in the conference. But how do you take a look at this matchup with South Carolina coming off of a tremendous week one in which they were able to knock off Kentucky by double figures? And it's a Tennessee team that on the flip side had a rough start to the season. But as we know, they have been able to do a tremendous job of rising up themselves. I think South Carolina is starting to kind of adopt some of those Tennessee tendencies. And that's good because I think we saw that formula to me in the Kentucky game more than anything else. I mentioned earlier, why did Alabama go in and lose Tennessee? Why do teams go in and lose at Tennessee and just get kind of manhandled sometimes the way that they do? It's because Tennessee has that identity of being the aggressor, being very physical, bumping you at every sort of move that you can make. And that's exactly what South Carolina did to Kentucky. And, you know, we kind of saw them follow up with some of that against Missouri to a lesser extent, because again, it's kind of that natural hangover effect, I think, after a game like the Kentucky one. But I think South Carolina is starting to realize that, hey, we're an older team. If we are the team that comes out and kind of, you know, like I said, sort of just bumps other teams around, plays very physical, makes them, you know, do things they don't want to do, get them outside their comfort zone, whether it's running their offense or whatever, that's what they've become. And, and I think what's interesting, Greg, is when you look at it, I mean, South Carolina's only had one bad game this season, and that was at Alabama, where, again, it's just you get the barrage of Alabama making shots and you're not making shots. They're going to do that to anybody on that kind of given circumstance. But the five-point loss at Clemson, the five-point loss at home to Georgia, like they had plays there to win those games. And so I think we're way beyond looking at South Carolina as a team that maybe just lucked their way into this. I think they're a legitimate sort of, again, team that I would fully expect to make the NCAA tournament right now just based on how they're playing and sort of the experience and everything there. So I'm curious to see how that matchup goes, whether they can kind of use that same physicality to bump Tennessee around a little bit. But again, it's life on the road in the SEC. Go to Tennessee on Tuesday, think about the battle that's going to be, but then you got to turn around and go to Georgia on Saturday, a team that's already beaten you. So this is where, you know, there's so little room for error in this kind of league and the standings. And so, yeah, it'd be great for South Carolina to get one of those. Obviously, on paper, it looks like Georgia's better opportunity, but I am very curious to see how they kind of fare, given what we've seen Tennessee do to Alabama and Florida and Ole Miss and teams like that in Knoxville already. Yeah, it is going to be such an interesting matchup there. And then we have to talk about the Egg Bowl out there on the hardwood as well, because Mississippi State, they're coming off of a massive win over the weekend. They were at home against Auburn and we figured there was going to be a little bit of regression with Ole Miss. Let's just call it what it is. It was a magical run for them to begin the season. But now it's all about how they regroup after they've taken a few losses over the last few weeks. How do you view this one? Because it, with Mississippi State, they have been a little bit of a better three-point shooting team. And as we know, even mediocre three-point shooting last year would have probably gotten this team far in the NCAA tournament. And this year, they're finally... Not to say that they're like some sort of an amazing offensive team, but it's been able to come to the forefront for them a little bit, and they've been able to do a relatively solid job. Yeah, they're obviously, like you said, shooting it better now. There was nowhere to go but up for this team based on what they did last year because they were 
you know, the worst shooting team in the country, but they've gotten a little bit better. And Josh Hubbard's been the difference for that. I think, you know, he has been the big driver, I think, of their perimeter game. Now, look, the percentages are not always great. I know he missed quite a few in the Florida game, you know, still hit three in the Auburn game, but I still think he gives them that dynamic they just did not have last year. And that's where you see how that translates on the road because Mississippi State just has not been a good road team. And like we said, that's the theme of the SEC right now, where it is just so hard to win on the road. Well, on the flip side, we saw Ole Miss being in that same conversation. We were like, man, Ole Miss is a bad road team. But they go in, they win at Texas A&M. I think just getting that first one had to be kind of huge for them, knowing that they do have these two big matchups coming up where, you know, you get to host Mississippi State, you get that rematch with Auburn, both at home. And this is where, again, if you compare maybe a South Carolina and Ole Miss, I just feel like South Carolina is certainly sitting in the better position right now, and Ole Miss has got some ground to make up. So this, to me, is easily the biggest two weeks of the season for Ole Miss because they've got Mississippi State, they've got Auburn at home. Then the following week, it's two straight road games at South Carolina and at Kentucky. So this is your opportunity to find those wins, I think, that a team like Ole Miss needs right now to really get closer to securing that bid. I think this should be, as usual, just given kind of the dynamics at play with these two teams, you know, whether it's a Tolu Smith going to see what he can do against, you know, the big guys for Ole Miss. And then, you know, how does the shooting for Mississippi State hold up on the road? All these things, because we know Mississippi State's a great defensive team and they're going to come in there and try to play their style. This is kind of an interesting matchup, I think, between these two. Oh, I think that this is going to be an absolutely tremendous matchup. And all week long, we are going to be getting some great SEC hoops and I always love asking you this question, Blake, because it's such an interesting landscape right now in college basketball. So we're going to throw it at you right now in terms of what you're seeing in college basketball, just all the teams that you've been able to view, identify. Is there one or two? It could be within the SEC as well, because the SEC, it has been very much a fascinating conference as well. But is there a team or two that you've just watched last week or two and either you're massively stock up or stock down on them. You know, for me, I feel like I could like run through the entire Mountain West here because <laughs> you and I, maybe not even on this podcast, sometimes off the podcast, we talk about the Mountain West and just how interesting it is and just seeing like where these teams sit. And obviously, you know, as of right now, we're recording, you know, Utah State sitting in a really good spot. They, you know, they bounced back from that loss they had in New Mexico a couple Saturdays ago or whatever it was now. And I think that win at Boise State, obviously an entertaining game there that went to overtime. And I think just it's hard to kind of just pick one because I am just fascinated by this Mountain West race right now just to see how some of these teams kind of start to separate themselves. But if you go outside the Mountain West, believe it or not, I'm going to go to the Big 12 and not even talk about the two teams that are coming to the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma. But <laughs> my goodness, this TCU team, I think, just continues to kind of be on my radar. And, and it's for the obvious reasons because I think as you're starting to look ahead to Mark and you're starting to look at teams to really circle and identify – as who are the ones that are going to be there and maybe start to have some of those things you need to make a deep run with the experience this TCU team has, you know, winning battle game the way they did at the Baylor, the triple overtime game, just kind of seeing what they can do on both sides of the floor. And I know they were struggling a little bit there, but just think about the losses this year, close losses. What I think all three of their losses in Big 12 play have been by four points or less. You know, the four point one was overtime to Cincinnati. So I would definitely circle TCU right now. And I'm not just saying that based on one game, but I think you just look at them and sort of the way that team is built, that the Jamie Dixon has put together there. I just really like this team right now and kind of looking ahead and sort of seeing the opportunity that's there for the Horned Frogs. Oh, it is going to be so interesting to take a look at them with TCU, that triple overtime game, which 
I had the under in that game, by the way. So I feel like a complete moron. The next time you get a sorry to bring overtime, it up, Greg. I didn't mean to it's bring okay. It up. <laughs> Don't worry. That was a fun game. If I'm gonna lose it, I would rather have it be like that rather than it be like, oh, I had a total of like 154 and it lands on 155. You just want to get it just completely torpedoed rather than lose in heartbreaking <laughs> fashion like that. So you're all good there. But man, that was an absolutely tremendous game that we saw against Baylor and. It's always tremendous what we get out of you, Blake, because you did such a good job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time you join this podcast, I feel like we get just a little bit smarter. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. I always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, you can follow our SEC stuff on YouTube. You can just search for Southeastern 14. We have daily SEC basketball stuff going up, multiple things per day usually. So you can check out all of our previews and kind of game reaction stuff there and uh, everything else college basketball. I'm on Twitter at the Blake level. Blake does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. It's going to be a great week out there in the SEC. Blake does a great job. We'll be able to cover it all and we always appreciate his time. Big thanks to Blake Lovell for joining me right here on Coast Coast Soups. Now part of the Visa family and podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you fix and analysis out of the game on the betting board for this college basketball season as we have some big chats. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Career Builder is made for people who have that thing. You know, those superpowers that make you good at your job, the skills you bring to work. And Career Builder knows those skills make you right for other jobs too. Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes, and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Career Builder is made for people who have that thing. You know, those superpowers that make you good at your job. The skills you bring to work. And Career Builder knows those skills make you right for other jobs too. Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes, and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Career Builder is made for people who have that thing. You know, those superpowers that make you good at your job, the skills you bring to work. And CareerBuilder knows those skills make you right for other jobs too. Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. Emmerbank here in Las Vegas Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by our good friend Blake Lovell. He does such good work 
Over at Southeastern 14, taking a look at this great game of basketball that we all know and love. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends such good insights. And man, is it interesting out there in the SEC right now. Always good to have an ally helping us make sense of what has been a very strange and fun conference. So, big thanks to Blake for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at Gunan underscore D1. And we are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation or this is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first. The games with six digits will be at the bottom. We do not have any of those today. It is all bigger conferences, so pretty much straight time order. So that'll keep things very clean and easy today. Let's get things started with 601, 602 on the betting board. It is South Carolina. They're on the road. They're facing off against Tennessee. Tennessee is a favorite of between 13 to 13 and a half points. Totals between 136.5 and 137. I did set my total at a 138. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. It is a Tennessee team that is still in the top 20 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but offense has really been able to come alive under Dalton Connect. Connect has been connecting for 19.5 points per contest, has really been able to kick it up recently for a Tennessee team that they have gotten to at least 72 points in every single game this month. They've gotten to at least 75 in five out of their last six games, so this team is really humming along. Tennessee should be able to do a relatively solid job on the glass as well. You've got Jonas Adu, a couple with Josiah Jordan-James, being able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game. Tennessee, one of the best rebound rate teams in all of college basketball, though I will say, South Carolina, a top 75 team in terms of rebound rate. This is despite the fact that they don't have anyone on the roster that gives them north of 5.5 rebounds per game. B.J. Mack, right now their leader in rebounds with about 5.5 boards, 14 points per contest. It's a team that is really faded with regards to their 3-point shooting percentage. They're now shooting about 34.5% from the outside, but it's off to Long Cooper. He's able to give you a little bit over 4 assists, 1.2 turnovers per game. Michi Johnson supplying about 15.5 points per contest. He's been your main man, but you've got so many guys that are just making such good contributions for this team. Even someone like a Colin Murray Boyles has been able to come in and He's gotten many more minutes recently, six-plus boards in far of the team's last five games, and has given them a nice element of shot blocking as well. Ten blocks over the team's last four games. South Carolina, one of the slower, grimier teams in all of college basketball. They're outside the top 275 with regards to total possessions per game. Tennessee has been a little bit more of a mid-tempo team this year. They're a little bit on the slower side, but I mean, they're about 130th with regards to their total possessions per game. So a relatively mid-tempo team. It is a South Carolina team that they themselves Gone to at least 69 points in each other last five games. 71 plus points in all but one of them as well. So South Carolina has certainly been able to supply some offense. So I do think that this is a total that's set a little bit too low despite the fact that both of these teams have been able to do a pretty solid and lockdown job with regards to their defense. I do think that the good offense going to be able to win out. But I do think that South Carolina going to be able to hold in there. This team just does such a solid job of being able to cut off exactly what you do well. This is also a South Carolina team that they've done a nice job of being able to guard in a road slash court environment as well. This is a team that overall on the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot only about 33% from three-part range. So any spot where I did set my total 138, going to be taking a look at the over, set South Carolina's 12-point dogs, so we'll only take 13 plus here. 
603-604 on the betting board. It is Akron. They hit the road. They're facing off against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, a 10 and a half to an 11 point underdog. Your total on this game is 136 half. Set my line at 10 and a half. 11 is my buy point on Eastern Michigan. And it's a rough Eastern Michigan team. They are outside the top 250 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. A team that's had a tough time being able to make threes and has had a tough time guarding the arc. And I will say, for Eastern Michigan, it does get a little bit better for them at home. They allow opponents to shoot just 31% from distance when they are in their friendly confines. Meanwhile, in a roadside shoot court environment, this does balloon up to 38%. So, this is a team that is vastly different when they are at home. Going up against an Akron team that, ever since they've been able to get back into the fold, other guys like Ali, Ali and company, this team has really been rolling. And this is an Akron team that has been able to do a solid job with defense, but they still aren't that defense that we saw a few seasons ago when they were able to make the NCAA tournament, especially on the road. They are allowing opponents to shoot 35% from three-point range in a roadside shoot record environment. Akron is giving up 11.9 points more per one hour possessions rather than at home now. The aforementioned Ali Ali has been able to give this team a nice bump. He's done a solid job being able to supply the team with 14 plus points per contest. And then you've got Enrique Freeman. Enrique Freeman right now in the top of all of college basketball with regards to rebounds per game. 18.5 points, 13 boards, block and a half per contest. But both of these teams relatively consistent with regards to their facilitation. Caleb Thornton on the side of Akron. Ty Acuff. Both give their respective teams about three assists per contest. So, Acuff, he has to be a little bit of Mr. Do-It-All for Eastern Michigan. 21.5 points, three assists, only shoots about 28.5% from three for a team that has a hole. They're shooting just 30.7% from the outside. And this has been an Akron team that has been able to build themselves up with their offense. For Akron, it has been a little bit all over the place thus far this season for them because they are still a relatively slow team. They're outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game. But ever since Ali Ali has gotten into the fold, this team has been able to ascend top 100 in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Only scoring about 4 points per 100 possessions fewer in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. And this has been an accurate team. Has gone to at least 73 points in now 5 out of their last 7 games. So I do think that Akron going to be able to put up some points in this spot. It is an Eastern Michigan team that Orlando Lovejoy has given a little bit of spark to though. They are still just 271st in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But that said this has been an Eastern Michigan team as a little bit lackluster with their defense at Akron, not guarding quite the same way when they are on the road. So I did set my total 138.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and with setting my line at 10.5, 11 or more is a take for me on Eastern Michigan. 605, 606 on the betting board. Illinois, it's a road faceoff against Ohio State. The Ohio State University is a three-point underdog with your total 150 to 150.5. Did set my line at a 146 on this total. I'm going to be diving in on the under with Illinois. This team has been a little bit more lackadaisical with regards to their defense recently in conference play. They're giving up more than 8 points more per 100 possessions rather than when they were in non-conference play but this has still been one of the better defenses that you're going to find in all of college basketball. You've got a core in which 5 out of your top 6 scores give you north of 6 rebounds per game for Illinois 32nd in all of college basketball with your guys' points allowed on a per possession basis. So they're giving up 20.6 points more per 100 possessions when they are away from home rather than when they are at home and they're going up against an Ohio State team where the defense is starting to slip slide away but they are giving up 13.3 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road, but it is an IFC team as in bad form as well. Some 
I did as a result make my line four. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Illinois. Illinois now has Mr. Terrence Shannon back in the fold. And he's a do-it-all player along with Marcus Domas. Both of these guys do a nice job stuffing the stat sheet. They combine for 35 points, nine boards, six assists. With Shannon, you get a block in a seal per contest with 35.5% three-point shooting. And this is an Ohio State team that they do leave themselves somewhat vulnerable down low, despite the fact that Zed Key is able to give you six-plus rebounds per game. Felix Opara has been able to give you two-and-a-half blocks per contest, but with Illinois, they just come at you in droves, including having six foot ten Coleman Hawkins, who's able to give you six plus boards, seven plus points, is able to shoot it well from three points in Ohio State, just getting barbecued from the outside. 287th in all of college basketball. With regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, meanwhile for Illinois, they allow opponents to shoot just 27.5% from three-point inch at home. That does balloon to 38.2% in a road-slash-shoot-to-court environment, but despite the fact that these teams have some metrics that are a little bit less than savory with regards to their defense, I do think that this is going to maintain under just because I don't know if you get enough possessions in this game. Ohio State is 275th in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions per game, and it is an Ohio State team that has been a little bit in or miss from three-point range. Bruce Orton has been able to do a solid job of supplying consistent offense for the team all season long. 16 points, four and a half assists to a turnover per contest, and both of these teams do a good job of holding on to the ball. Ohio State, about 10 and a half turnovers per game. Illinois, more like 11 and a half turnovers per contest, and Jameson Battle, well, he is battling. He and Roddy Yale both give you 13 point eight points to combine 10 rebounds per contest, but Battle's a man that shoots 44.5% for three, but all in all for Iowa State, they are only shooting about 34% from three, and it is top-heavy. You were hoping for maybe a little bit more out of Dale Bonner has been able to give you five points per contest. Evan Mahaffey has been able to give you about four and a half points as well. Those ancillary scores just have not been able to step up for the team, and this is an ISA team that they have been held to fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games at home and on the road. It's been a little bit brutal for them, and I do think that Illinois, they're going to have a little bit of a slowdown in this game. I still think that they're going to be efficient on offense. I think that this just comes down to them not having enough possessions to be able to get this game over. So, this is my 146, looking at the under. And with Illinois, despite the fact that this is a road game, going to be one to lay it, set them as a four-point favorite. 607, 608 on the betting board. Western Michigan. It's the road face-off against Toledo, and Toledo does find themselves as a 11.5 to a 12-point favorite. Total on this game is 155. With Toledo, I did set them as a 12.5 point favorite, so at 11.5 to 12, wouldn't want to lay anything more than that, but I'm going to be willing to lay the number. With Toledo, you've got your big two scores, and Raheem Moss along Dante Maddox being able to supply about 32.5 points per contest. They combine for 5.6 assists, 9.5 boards, and both give you 1.5 seals per game apiece. Toledo, not necessarily a team that's going to get you a whole bunch of turnovers but they are generating about 7.5 steals per game. Not bad for their tempo. They're turning the ball over less than 11 times for contest. And as a whole, this team shoots about 37.5% from three-point range with having some of the ancillary pieces being able to step up. Sam Lewis, Alath Andre, Lortison, both of these guys shoot north of 40% from three-point range. Going up against a Western Michigan team that they were doing a good job of being able to crank up their offense. Things have been starting to teeter a little bit, but here in the month of January, they played eight games thus far. They've gotten to at least 70 points. In all but two of them, they have very much been the beneficiaries of the two-time transfer, Javante Brown. True seven-footer has come in, giving the team 11.5 points, five boards. You tell that right when he came into the fold that this was an offense that was playing a little bit faster, and they were playing more efficiently. Now they're able to hit the boards a bit more with the old lob singer, giving 9.6 boards, shooting 40.5% from three-point shot. For Western Michigan, this is a big concern. They shoot 61% of the free throw, and that is one of the worst marks they're going to find in off-college basketball. And this is a Western Michigan team that they're going to allow you open looks from 
the outside. Western Michigan, 242nd in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Toledo, 224th with this regard. And Toledo actually allowing opponents to shoot just 32.5% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment at home. That balloons more to about 35.4%. And then when it comes to Western Michigan, Seth Albert has been your main go-to scorer with about 15.5 points per contest. But Biard is wiping all over the place, giving you about... Nine points, three boards, three assists. Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's off. Has been hurting the team a little bit for Western Michigan. Defense has been a little bit better recently. They have given up fewer than 65 points in their last two games. And for Toledo, give them credit where credit is due. They've given up 73 or less in each of their last five games. I did set my total 152 and a half. It's a Western Michigan team that, while they've been a little bit more efficient with regards to their offense, this is still a relatively low tempo team, about 184th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, for Toledo, for the first time in a very, very long time, they're starting to play a little bit of defense. They've been playing a little bit more slowly, but I do think that that's actually to their benefit, and they've been able to do a nice job locking down on the road. So, going to be taking a look at the under and one to lay up to 12 with Toledo. 6-9, 6-10 on the bank board. Northern Illinois, it's a road to face off against Central Michigan, and Central Michigan does find themselves as a favorite of 4.5 to 5.5 points. Tolan's game is 144, and with Central Michigan, I did set them as a favorite of 4 points. So, now that we're past the 4, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Northern Illinois. Now, Northern Illinois has been dealing with some injuries down low, but they do get in the international man of mystery, Yannick Conan Niederhauser, who was missing for quite a bit of the month of January. He's now returned. He's given the team six blocks in the last two games. That should be able to fortify a defense that needs some fortifying. They are outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are well outside the top 250 nationally with regards to rebound rate, but they do have a good go-to score in David Coyd, who's been able to give you 19.8 points, three and a half assists. Shoots about 37% from three-par range. Now, free-throw shooting percentage is an issue with this team. They shoot 66.6% at the free throw line and out of your top six scores, Quite is the only guy on the roster that shoots north of 69% of the free throw line. That is not terrific though. You do have Xavier Amos who's been able to shoot north of 40% from three. He's been able to supply the team with about 12.5 points per contest and this is the Central Michigan team as well outside the top 275 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. The turnovers have been quite costly for this team as they're giving the ball away right around about 12.5 times per contest this despite the fact that they are well outside the top 200 with regards to total possessions per game though. Gotta love the game of Anthony Pritchard. He's been able to supply the team with 14 half points, a little bit over 5 boards, 4 assists. Not a guy that's going to light it up from 3 par and shooting about 27.3% from the outside for a team that in general. They're only shooting about 31.8% from 3 par range. They don't get a tremendous bump from being at home as well. And then when it comes to the Central Michigan team, they've been able to do a good job of being able to guard the arc. They are allowing opponents to shoot just 30.3% from 3 par range at home, but this is also a bunch that they're having a little bit of a tough time on the glass. You do have Brian Taylor, who's able to give you about seven and a half rebounds per game. Not a guy with a ton of size, though. He stands right around about six foot six. The guy that I think is bigger is Marcus Hastings, about 10 points, four and a half boards. He's been able to pop threes, but not at a very efficient clip. He's shooting about 25% from three par range. And with Central Michigan, not really being able to dominate down low, which is where you really do want to be attacking this Northern Illinois team, though they are also very shotty with regards to their three point shooting defense. And with Central Michigan, they themselves being about 255th with regards to their rebound rate. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a dip and tuck game. I do think that the best score out there on, on the floor 
is going to be David Coit in a game that it's going to be a little bit sloppy. It's going to be a little bit harebrained. I did set my total at 150. This has been a Northern Illinois team that has fallen on some tough times with regards to their offense. They have been a bunch that has been certainly giving it up with 80 plus points rendered in each other last five games, being unable to exceed the 75 point plateau in three of those four games, but they've gotten to at least 70 in each other last five. Meanwhile, this is a Central Michigan team that has given up actually 62 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Feel like that's a little bit of fool's gold, and I do think that Northern Illinois team that ranks in the top 55 nationally is going to be able to speed them up. So, going to be taking a look at the over in this spot, and I'm going to be taking a look at anything north of four with Northern Illinois. 6-11-6-12 on the banging board. George Washington, it's a road face-off against Dayton. Our nation's first president is a 14-point underdog. Your total on scheme, between 146 and 146 half. This is a bigger underdog than when George Washington went to Trenton, and I'm going to be willing to take the points. I did set my number at a 13, so we're going to be willing to dive in on the Colonials with this George Washington team. Certainly is one that is very top-heavy, but the top-heavy guys, well, they certainly do come through. James Bishop has been able to do incredible work, given the team 19.5 points per contest, while other of the guys like you've got a Maximus, Edwards, Garrett Johnson, guys like this, they do a good job of it in the boards, including Darren Buchanan Jr. Buchanan Jr., 15.5 points, 2.5 assists. Six and a half rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Justin Johnson and Edwards, they've been able to combine for 13 rebounds, 26 and a half points. And for Johnson, he's shooting 42.5% from three points. For a George Washington team that I'm not going to call them supreme or anything with their defense, but last year they were all sorts of bad. This year they've actually been able to do a relatively solid job. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, this team is 81st in all of college basketball. Now, when they do hit the road, they are giving up about 18.1 points more per one hour possessions rather than at home. And for Dayton, they are starting to round into form with regards to their defense. They're still about 92nd in the country with this regard, though, and for Dayton, they can be at a little bit from the outside. This is a Dayton team that is allowing opponents to shoot from three-point range right around about 33.2% at home. Actually drops to about 30.5% in a roadside shoot court environment. George Washington, they are allowing opponents to shoot just 29.5% from three at home, more like 38% on the road, which is an issue, especially against a Dayton team that ranks in the top 15 nationally with regards to three-point shooting percentage. Got a pair of guys and Nate Santos, Dayron Holmes, who've been able to combine for about 41% three-point shooting. Holmes has been able to give 19 points, seven and a half rebounds per game, along two and a half assists, and 2.2 blocks per contest. Dayton won the solo teams at all of college basketball, well outside the top 325 with regards to total possessions per game, but they only turned the ball over about 10 times per contest which has allowed them to be a top 50 offense in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis and just an all-the-better offense when they bet at home as well. This is a team that at home, with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, they do see one of the bigger bumps they're going to find out of your top offenses in all of college basketball. As Dayton, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they have that rise up by about 14 more points per one of possessions when they are at home, but I do think that this is a George Washington team that is going to be able to hold in there. Dayton, relatively solid on the glass. They've been able to do a much better job of being able to lock down recently, but I do think that George Washington, though they're a little bit top-heavy, they do go up against a Dayton team that's not really going to be putting in them into a whole bunch of foul trouble or anything like that, so... This is a circumstance where I do feel like the line has went a little bit too far. I did set Dayton as a 13-point favorite, so being able to get 14, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with George Washington with regards to this total. I did set mine at a 143 as well. George Washington has been better on defense this season. It's also George Washington team that they themselves have been struggling a little bit on offense. 
take a look at regulation only as their game against Davidson went to overtime, 75 points or fewer in really each of those last five games. Meanwhile, this is a Dayton squad that has not allowed an opponent to exceed 70 points all month long. I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to take the points with George Washington. 613-614 on the bang board. Ball State plays us to Bowling Green, and Bowling Green is a favorite of a point. Total on scheme, it is 148.5 with Bowling Green. I did set them as 1.5 point favorites, so 1 is a max I'm really willing to lay here, but I'm going to be willing to lay the 1 for Bowling Green. It's been a less than terrific last two-game stretch for them, but now they're really getting their tempo that they're looking for under Todd Simon. Todd Simon has always been someone that has been looking to crank up the tempo. If you take a look at what he did over at Southern Utah, he very much was playing that very same MO. Now, in every one of the games that Bowling Green has played this month, one of the two teams has gotten to at least 78 in every one of them. And for Bowling Green, this has been an offense that has been able to get to at least 78 points in now four out of their last five games. You've got a good top flight score in Marcus Hill has been able to give you 21 points per contest for Bowling Green. Three-point shooting, not necessarily great at about 31.5%, but they do take care of the ball, turning it over just 11.5 times per contest. And then you've got Rashawn Ag along with Jason Spurgeon, who've been able to combine for about 15 rebounds per game. Ag has been able to shoot about 30% for three, and Spurgeon shoots 40% from distance. So you've got some relatively nice versatility there for a Bowling Green team that is about 114th in the country. With regards to rebound rate, they go up against a Ball State team that has been relatively solid themselves on the glass, clocking in right around 93rd, but the big issue that you're going to have with this Ball State team is that they are going to allow a lot of wide-open looks from distance, 254th in all of college basketball with this regard, and this is a Bowling Green team that they themselves are clocking in right around 317th. I will say for Bowling Green, they are allowing opponents to shoot from 3.5 inch more around 35% away from home, 37.6% when they have it at home, and this is a Ball State team that is able to knock down those triples. For Ball State, you've been able to get a whole lot of production out of Bashir Jihad, who's been able to chip in their 19.5 points, nearly 8 boards. He is shooting currently 40% from 3 points. has been absolutely magnificent with that regard. He's been able to supply 20 plus points each out of the last three games. So the turnovers, they certainly have been ramping up for him as well. Tough turnovers over the team's last three games. You've got pass at Jalen Anderson, Mikey Pearson, who've been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 27.5 points per contest. Both shoot about 36% from 3 points. Davion Bailey has been able to shoot about 42.5% from the outside, but this this is a Ball State team that they truly do get cash with regards to their low post defense. While they do a solid job in terms of being able to hit the glass, they do allow a lot of open two-point opportunities and this is a Bowling Green team that, with them not necessarily shooting it well from three-point range, they're going to need to attack here. Ball State about turn 20th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's two-point shooting percentage. Bowling Green has been able to do a little bit of a better job of being able to lock down there. It is a Ball State team that they themselves are in the ball for about 12 and a half times for contest. A little bit of a top-heavy team and I do think that with the way that Bowling Green has been able to get their offense sorted out on those two losses that they took recently. An overtime loss to Kent State, really no shame there. It is a Ball State team that they themselves have been really clicking with regards to their offense as well. 76 plus points each other last four games. I do think that you get a relatively high scoring affair here, so I did set my total at 151.5. I'm looking at the over. And with Bowling Green, I'm willing to lay up to one point on the road with them. 615, 616 on the bank board. VCU is the road to face off against St. Bonaventure. The Bonnies are a 4-4.5 to point favorite. Your total 
total on this game between 136 and 137.5. I said St. Bonaventure as a 4.5 point favorite. So here at the 4, I'm going to be one to lay the number. St. Bonaventure, one of the oldest teams in all of college basketball. And it's a St. Bonaventure team that last time out, they played a high scoring affair against St. Joe's, but this team has been very supreme with their defense all season long. They have now given up 72 points or fewer in all but three of their games as far as the season, though. One of those games in which they did allow north of 72, that was the first time they faced off against VCU. This became a harebrained wild game in which it went 89-78 to for St. Bonaventure. They go 12-22 of from three-point range on the road. Neither team turned the ball over, and just frankly, neither team was really able to miss. VCU was able to shoot 50-plus percent from the floor. I do think that both of these defenses are going to be able to lock down quite a bit more than what we saw the first time around. This is a Bonnie team that overall for the season in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis is a uh, top 75 unit, as a matter of fact, 72nd to be exact. Meanwhile, for VCU, they've done a solid job on this front as well, 73rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And ironically enough for VCU, they're actually giving up about 2.6 points fewer in a roadside shirt court environment rather than when they are at home. But I do think that the Bonnies are going to be able to get it done once again because this is a St. Bonaventure team that just have so much outside shooting. Mike Adams, Woods, Moses Flowers, Charles Pride, all giving you at least 40% three-point shooting. They are the top three scorers that have made at least one three this far this season. As they've been able to combine for about 35.5 points per contest, it is a St. Bonaventure team that they don't necessarily have that one like supreme rebounder or anything like that. Charles Pride and his six and a half rebounds per game right now leading the way. But in terms of overall team rebounding, they are a top 100 team with regards to rebound rate. And for VCU, they're built a very similar way. They're about 77th in the country with regards to their rebound rate. You really don't have anyone other than Tubi Lowell, who's been able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game, but getting back Joe Bejmili along Sean Bearsell has been impactful. They're combined for about 24.5 points per contest, and Bejmili shoots north of 40% from three-point range. They also get back Zeb Jackson, who was out the last few weeks, played a little bit more of a limited role against Davidson, just 19 minutes, but being able to get him back I think is big because Max Sholga he's had to do a little bit of everything. Sholga, three and a half assists, shoots 39% from three, but this is a Bonnie team that they do a better job of taking care of the ball than VCU. VCU is turning the ball over about 12.5 times for contest, so I will say for this VCU team, 17th in all of college basketball, the guards opponents three-point shooting percentage, lying opponents to shoot 22.3% from three-point range on the road. It's a good three-point shooting defense. It's not that good. I anticipate a little bit of regression coming in there, and this is the St. Bonaventure team that they are a top 75 team with the guards guarding the arc as well, so I do think that you're going to see much more defense this time around rather than in the first game. I did set my total 134.5, looking under, and with the Bonnies, I think they get it done once again. We'll delay up to four with them. 617, 618 on the betting board, Indiana is going to be playing against Iowa. This is a pick'em game with a total between 159 and 160 and for Indiana, I'd make them a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. This is still an Iowa team with some pretty demonstrative home and road sports. They always have and they always will with regards to their offense. Now, for Iowa, still doing a solid job of being able to fire in all cylinders on offense. This is still a Bunch is scoring about 12.5 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than in a roadside shirt record environment, so that's a little bit rough. I will say this about Iowa, though. They've actually done a solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc. In a roadside shirt record environment, opponents are only shooting about 29.5% from three-point range against them. Meanwhile, for Indiana, they're about 180th in all of college basketball. The guards opponents' three-point shooting percentage. It's been a little bit better when they have been at home. And for Indiana, it's just been really a lack of backcourt that has been causing 
using them because they've got a lot of versatile bigs like Khalil Ware, Malik Renu, who have been able to do a nice job of being able to contribute for this team. Between Ware and Renu, a combined 31 points, about 16 rebounds. You've got both of these guys shooting north of 40% from three-point range, but your backcourt is straight Galloway along with Xavier Johnson, combined for about 18 and a half points. There was a stretch here where Xavier Johnson was having more turnovers than points. I mean, it was really bad. He's gotten online in the last two games with a combined 22 points, two turnovers, four assists. So that's a little bit beneficial, but this has been an Indiana team that has been right there with Iowa in terms of ghastly defenses. Both of these teams are well outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis for Iowa, no doubt about it. They certainly experience it quite a bit more on the road in a roadside shooter current environment. This team is giving up about 16 points more per 100 possessions rather than when they are at home. And for Indiana, they are giving up about 12.5 points per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment themselves. And for Iowa, I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time on the glass. You do have Ben Cricky who's been able to give you about 5.5 rebounds worth of 17 points per contest. Peyton Sanford, he's able to give you about 6 rebounds per contest. He's able to give you double figures as well. Shoots it well from 3 par range. But Indiana, with all their size, I do think that they're going to be able to rise up when that battle down low. Iowa about 185th in the country with regards to rebound rate. And very interestingly, Indiana is actually 219th, but you know that Indiana has a little bit more size in this matchup, and you know that Iowa does experience a little bit of a drop-off when they are away from home. So this is a circumstance where I do think that Indiana going to be able to get it done. It's been an Indiana team that's been all over the place with their offense, 66 points or fewer in three of their last five games, but they're facing off against an Iowa team that certainly has been giving it up, and Iowa has been very, very harebrained, to say the least, recently. This is a squad that has been held below with 70 points in two other last five games. That said, this has been a team that has given up at least 76 points in four of their last five as well. Did somebody total 164 and a half, looking over, and willing to take Indiana on this pick of line, being the two and a half point favorite, 619, 620 on the betting board. Villanova plays up some Marquette. This is a pick em game as well, with Marquette being a one point underdog in some spots as well. Totals between 142 and 143. Me Marquette, the two point favorite. So, going to be looking at Marquette as a pick em slash, a very slight money line underdog for Marquette. Tyler Kolek has been a little bit all over the place. Sometimes he's scoring, sometimes he's facilitating, but you know that you're going to be able to get just whatever is needed in the game. 14 points. His 7 assists per contest is in the top 5 in all of college basketball. Does need to slash on the turnovers a little bit. 3 plus turnovers in 3 out of the last 5 games with 7 plus assists in each of the last 5 games as well. And for Villanova, they are the slightly better team on the glass, but I like what I'm seeing out of Oso Aguadero, who's been able to give you 14 and a half points, seven boards per contest. He's going to be matched up with the duo of Eric Dixon along with Tyler Burton, who have been able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game. But for Villanova, this team is only about 113th in the country with regards to the rebound rate. Marquette's still leaving quite a bit of something to be desired. They're clocking in more on that neighborhood, about uh, 243rd. But this is still a Marquette team that is one of the best teams in all of college basketball being able to generate turnovers. Now, on the flip side, do have a Villanova team that they do the little things well. They turn the ball over less than 11 times for contests. They're a top five team nationally with regards to free throw shooting percentage as well. But Marquette, number seven in the country in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis. And this team has been able to ascend to become one of the best defenses. They're able to find it all of college basketball. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Marquette, 39th in all of college basketball. And 
for Villanova. The team plays slowly, but they do leave a little bit of something to be desired, ranking about 85th in the country with this regard, while shooting about 32.5% from three-point. Dixon has been able to give you 15.5 points, shooting 35% from three-point. TJ Bamba, about 36% three-point shooting with 10 points per contest, but for Villanova, it's been the guys like Akeem Hart, Jordan Longino, Mark Armstrong. Like, sometimes they're incredibly on, sometimes they're not. You just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out out of them. Meanwhile, for Marquette, I feel like you know what you're going to be able to get out of Cam Jones, who's able to give you 14 points, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point. David Joplin is continuing to shoot 40-plus percent from distance himself. I really like what I am seeing out of this Marquette team in terms of their outside shooting. It's been able to come to the forefront just a little bit more. As overall for the season, it's only been about 33%, but the top guys, it feels like they're starting to fire once again. This is a Marquette team that has been so much improved on defense as well, and it's gotten to at least 73 points now in each other last four games. Meanwhile, for Villanova, they have scored 65 points or fewer in two other last three games, with the lone exception being that double overtime game against Butler, where I believe that they had scored 64 points in regulation. So it's been a little bit rough for them. Marquette has been able to rise up with their defense, so I'm going to be looking at Marquette as a money line underdog slash a pick come in. I did set my total at a 142. You're at a 142.5, 143. I do think that things get slowed down looking at the under and looking at Marquette. 621, 622 on the betting board. Buffalo, it's a road face off against Ohio. Ohio is a 13.5 point favorite. Your total is between 147 and 147.5. For Buffalo, it's been a no good, very bad, terrible year, and I think that it continues. I set them as a 14 point dog, so going to be willing to lay with Ohio. Now, the one thing that Buffalo is going to be able to do relatively okay in this game is at the glass. They're about 215th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Ohio just doesn't have a ton down low. They're about 231st in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. That said, you do have an Ohio team that just has a better backcourt. Despite the fact that three-point shooting has been eluding the likes of Jalen Hunter and company, you know that these guys are not going to turn the ball over. With Ohio, in terms of turnovers per game, they're at 10 per contest with Sharif Mitchell along with Hunter Roy, as mentioning before, combined for 27 points, 7 assists, 2.7 seals per contest. Neither of these guys shoot it well from three-point range, but that's why you've got someone like an A.J. Clayton who has been able to shoot north of 40% from distance to go along with 11.5 points per contest. This is an Ohio team that certainly they're going to give up some open looks from three-point range, but Buffalo is prone to that as well. Buffalo is allowing opponents to shoot 35% from three, about 34% on the road, 36.3% when they are at home. Meanwhile, this is an Ohio team that they themselves, with regards to their opponent's three-point shooting percentage, about 160th in all of college basketball. Going up against a Buffalo team that they just don't have a lot going for them from the outside. Now, you do have Genevia Smith, who's got good versatility. He's been able to give the team eight points, nine boards, shooting 35.5% from three-point range, but he's the only of their top five scorers that shoot above 27.6% from the outside. Buffalo as a whole, 15.3 turnovers per game. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they are a bottom 30 team in all of college basketball. Anquan Bolton Jr. has given the team a little bit of something in the backcourt with about seven points per contest, but they're really built around side. Chapman was able to give you 18 half points, six half boards, and then the versatility of Isaiah Adams, who was dealing with injury towards the beginning part of the year. 13 points, three and a half assists, four and a half boards. So he's able to give you quite a bit of something on that front as well. That said, this is a circumstance where I do think that for Buffalo, they're just going to be outgunned once again. This Buffalo team has not been able to generate anything whatsoever in offense. They have now scored 66 points or fewer in each other last five games. And it's an Ohio team that all of a sudden is starting to play some defense. 67 points of fewer surrender in each of their last four games. I do think that Buffalo probably going to get a little bit more than what they have been in the past. And this is the Buffalo team that is getting carved up on defense as well. They have given up at least 75 
in each other last five games going up against an Ohio team that does a good job of being able to take care of the ball. I do think that Ohio is going to be able to do their part in getting this total over. I set my total at a 148, so looking over and with Ohio. Don't want to lay anything more than 13 and a half as I set my number at 14, but want to lay the 13 and a half here. 623, 624 on the betting board. Miami of Ohio plays on the road against Kent State. Kent State is a favorite of seven and a half points. So on this game is 144 and a half. Kent State I did set as a favorite of eight and a half points. So here at the seven and a half, I'm going to be willing to lay it. This is certainly not the same Kent State defense that we saw a season ago. Last season, this team was in the top 40 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They were generating a bunch of turnovers and you can tell that the loss of sincere carry has taken it out of this defense quite a bit. That said, this is a Kent State team that they still have been able to do a relatively okay job of being able to hit the glass, even with having Silveron Hornbeak being out of the fold. Chris Payton, the transfer from Pittsburgh, has provided a lot of versatility. 14.7 boards on 37% three-point shooting as a whole. Kent State shoots about 36% from three-point range. They go up against a Miami of Ohio team that has been very strange with regards to their defense, and by strange, I mean they just really are not doing a lot on the interior while they do a great job of being able to guard the arc. Miami, 27th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, if you just take a look at the raw points allowed on a per-possession basis numbers, you would not ever really know that. They are 233 in all of college basketball in that regard. They are giving up about 15 points more per one-hour possessions when they are in a roadside shoot record environment rather than when they are at home, and the crux of it is this is a team with a rebound rate that is outside the top 250 in all of college basketball in a roadside shoot record environment. Opponents shoot 55.4% from two-point range against them as well. Now, they have been able to get a little bit of production out of Anderson Marmbeau. He is a big man that stands about six foot nine, 300 pounds, who's been able to give you 14 points. Actually, he's able to pop some threes as well. And for Miami of Ohio, they do shoot 37.5% from the outside, but other than Barmbeau, the only guy that's really able to give you double figures is their wishy hunter, who's been able to give you 13 points. Chips in there about two assists per contest. You've been able to have a 40% three-point shooter be able to develop as well with about eight and a half points per contest and Ryan Mabry. Mabry has been very inconsistent, though. Three points are fewer in three out of the team's last five games. You just never know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Meanwhile, for Kent State, Giovanni Santiago has been able to cut down on the turnovers recently. He had to take over the point guard role for a sincere carry who left in the offseason, and he's out of the team, two turnovers or fewer. In four of the team's last five games, three or fewer in every one of them. Scoring has went down with them as last season he was a really good north of 35% three-point shooter. That's down to about 25% this season, but now you've got Tyam Freeman who's been able to really step up in the last three games for the team, has been able to supply the team with about 36 points. He's shooting north of 50% from three-point. I do think that that's going to be enough for Kent State to be able to get it done. It's a Kent State team that is playing now in the top 125 with regards to total possessions per game, and with Miami of Ohio being so badly cashed down low, I do think that Kent State takes it to them. I'm willing to delay up to eight with Kent State. Made them an 8.5 point favor. Made my total 146 half. think that there's a possibility of some late-game felling, so looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to delay it with Kent State. 625, 626 on the betting board. It is sex and sex. They hit the road. They're facing off against TCU, and TCU is finding themselves as a five and a half point favorite. And your total on this game, it is 149 and a half with TCU. I set them as a four point favorite. So here at the five to five and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points. TCU was able to have that just incredible triple overtime win, much to the chagrin of myself as 
And the DK Network right a pick of the under in that one. But that's how when it comes to TCU, this team has been able to do a very solid job of being able to lock down with regards to their defense. A top 40 team in the country with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. And despite the fact that you don't have one guy that is going to give you just a whole bunch of boards or anything like that, they do a really good job of being able to rebound by committee. Texas Tech is right around about 102nd in the country with regards to rebound rate. Meanwhile, this TCU team, they are 20th in the country with Emmanuel Miller leading the way with 17 points, 6 boards, leads the team in both categories as while you don't have anyone that gives you north of 6 rebounds per contest, you've got 3 separate guys that do give you at least 5 rebounds per game and for Ernest Ado, he's been able to do a nice job giving you about a block 6 rebounds, that's a little bit of a rim protector. TCU has been slowing down with regards to their tempo as well in terms of possessions per 40 minutes, it's been about 3 possessions fewer than it was out of conference and for Texas Tech, they've been able to explode with their offense, only turning the ball over about 10.5 times for contest, shooting nearly 37% from three-point to Grant McCaslin has really been willing to speed it up this season as Texas Tech, they're only averaging about six points fewer per runner possessions away from them rather than when they are at home because of that ball security of about 10.5 turnovers per game. Warren Washington done a solid job being able to give the team eight points, nearly two blocks per contest. The team as a whole shoots 37% from three-point despite the fact that each of your top four scores do not shoot above 30 32.5% from three. Though Pops Isaacs, he's been able to give you 17 points, right around three and a half assists per contest. And Joe Toussaint throws in there four assists per game as well. It's been Kerwin Walton, who's been able to shoot north of 50% from three point inch. And Chance McMillan, who gives you about 10 points per contest. He shoots about 44% from the outside. So these guys have been very solid with that regard. These are a pair of teams that they can be a little bit at or miss from three point inch, both on offense and on defense. As Texas Tech, they're about 164th in all of college basketball. The guards opponent's three point shooting percentage. TCU is about 40th, but TCU, they only shoot about 33.5% from three-point range themselves. They've brought in Trey Tennyson, who is a north of 40% three-point shooter over at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, to be able to help out with that a little bit. I do like the overall game that you've got out of Avery Anderson, who's been able to give you nine points, right around about four assists per contest as a nice job of just being able to float the ball, but this is a TCU team that as well does turn the ball for about 13 times per contest. They go up against a Texas Tech team that has now allowed at least 73 points in four of their last five games, but Offense has gone to at least 85 in three of their last five. Meanwhile, it's a TCU team that in regulation because the uh, Baylor game that went to 100 million billion overtimes and their game against Cincinnati went to overtime as well. They've given up 73 points or fewer in far of their last five games. I do feel like TCU's numbers are a little bit warped by the fact that they have played so many overtimes. I do think that Texas Tech at their core is going to be looking to play a little bit more slowly as well. I did set my total 144 looking at the under and in this spot semi line at four so I'm going to be willing to take north of five here with Texas Tech to go along with the under. Now we have my DK Network right up pick 627, 628. Syracuse hits the road face off against Boston College. Boston College between a three to a three and a half point favorite. And your total on this game between 149 and 150. And my right up here is going to be on Boston College. I did set them as a six point favorite with Boston College. His team has done a tremendous job all season long of taking care of the ball aside from one game. And that one game was against Syracuse on, I believe it was January 10th when these two teams hooked up the first time around. Syracuse was able to get a 69-59 to win at home. And I do think that we're going to see a little bit of reversal here as in that game, Boston College committed 22 turnovers. They lost that turnover battle 22-8. to This is a Boston College team that overall for the season is 19th in the country with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. And at home, they only turned the ball over on 11.4% of possessions as the 7th 
11th best home turnover percentage in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, the Orange have been able to do a solid job of being able to generate some turnovers. This team does rank in the top 45 with regards to turnover force on a per possession basis, and this is a Boston College team that, in general, is going to be up against it a little bit more against a Orange team that they're the better defensive team. Syracuse, 82nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Boston College is 178th, but Boston College allowing about 10 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And where Boston College is really going to need to take hold is down low. This is a Syracuse team that ranks as 290th in the country with regards to defensive rebound rate, but they're allowing all sorts of second chances as they're allowing opponents in a roadside shoot court environment to grab 34% of their misses as an offensive rebound. And guess who's going to be able to do a good job of that? Quinn Bose. He's been very good in the post for Boston College. Three assists, 16 and a half points. 7.5 boards, a true 7-footer, that's shooting about 42.5% from 3-par range. For a core, then, they only turn the ball over 7.7 times for contest. You've also been able to get good production on Devin McLaughlin. 10.5 points, 6.5 boards. He shoots it at about 36.5% from 3-par range. Now, 3-point shooting is going to be key in this game because Boston College, they do allow opponents to shoot a little bit north of 35% from 3. They're outside the top 250 with that regard. That said, this is a Syracuse team that the first time around, they did shoot under 30% from 3-par range and got some inconsistent 3-point shooters on this team. I do think that Judah Mintz is better than his 34% 3-point shooting percentage would indicate 18.5 points, 4.5 assists, 2.2 seals out of him. And it's a Syracuse team that they do generate about 9 seals per contest, but just need to get a little bit more down low out of the likes of a Malik Brown, Kadar Copeland, these two guys. They've been able to give you about 17.5 points in the neighborhood, about 12 rebounds per game as well, but just don't have done down low. J.J. Starlin, he's a stat sheet sufferer that just really doesn't shoot it well. He shoots 67.5% the free line, 31% from three, a little bit over 12.5 points per contest. This is a Syracuse team that has been able to rise up quite a bit more with their defense recently. You take a look at what they've been able to do, and they have given up fewer than 70 points in three of their last four games, but it's been all over the place. It feels like they're very much all or nothing with that regard. You may recall the North of 100 that they gave up to North Carolina. Meanwhile, it is a Boston College team that they've been struggling a little bit more with their offense. They have scored fewer than 72 points in each of their last four games, but I do think that they're going to look much better against this Orange team. I think that they're going to protect the ball much better when they're in Chestnut Hill. I think that that reversal is going to be able to help them out, coupled with the fact that first time around, Boston College went just 3 of 4 at the free throw line, and Syracuse went 17 out of 23. Even with the turnover woes, Boston College was still in that game somewhat, so I do think that that is going to be able to turn itself around a little bit as well, and I do think that Boston College gets their revenge at home. I DK Network right a pick. That is going to be on Boston College laying the number. I did set my total at 158. I do think that this number is a little bit too high, considering neither team got to 70 points the first time around. So, looking at the 150 under, and my write-up is laying the number with Boston College. 629, 630 on the banking board. Georgia Tech is playing us in North Carolina. North Carolina, a 10.5 to an 11-point favorite total between 152 and 152.5. Made North Carolina a 9-point favorite. Now that we're getting north of 10, I am going to be willing to take the points. It is a North Carolina squad that has all of a sudden been able to play some really good defenses here for North Carolina. A top 25 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they've been all the more dominant at home. At home, they're allowing 90.3 points per one-hour possessions. Only sees a fall about 4.3 points per one-hour possessions in a roadside shoot court environment as well. As a matter of fact, you take a look at teams with regards to points allowed per possessions away from home. This North Carolina team is in the top 10 in all of college basketball, and it's been with Armando Bay 
Bacon, honestly not having as big a numbers this year as he has in past years. He's still been able to do a solid job. He's still averaging right around about 9 to 10 rebounds per game, scoring his double figures, but we've actually seen him play a little bit of a smaller role recently. Has not gotten to 10 plus rebounds in any of the team's last four games. 10 points or fewer in each of the last three games. He's become a little bit more of a shot blocker for this team. Meanwhile, you've got Mr. Do-It-All in Harrison Ingram, who's really been able to shine after Sanford was misusing him the last few years. 12.5 points, 8.5 boards, shooting 41% from three points. R.J. Davis looking like one of the top scorers in all of college basketball, supplying the team with 21 points. He's been able to shoot 40% from three points for a North Carolina team that they play up-tempo, but they really don't turn the ball over a lot. Only about 10.5 turnovers per game. Now, with this Georgia Tech team, I think that they hold in there because Nathan George, all of a sudden, has been able to give this team a nice breath of life as he's been able to do a tremendous job being able to hold out, giving out at least four assists and now each of the team's last seven games. And he's done so well, turning the ball over one time or fewer in five out of the team's last seven games. So he's been very efficient on that front. You've got Bay and Dongo, who down low is able to give you about 13.5 points, 8.5 boards, shooting 37.5% from three-point It is a Georgia Tech squad that as a whole, they have been doing a good job of being able to hit the glass for some second and third chances. Top 50 team with regards to offensive rebound rate, though. You know, unless you should hit the best shooting, just 67% of the free line. Miles Kelly has been your main guy with about 14 points, 6 boards, and just for a lack of a better way of explaining it, Georgia Tech, it feels like, has played really good in these step-up spots. They went to Clemson. They were able to win that game in double overtime. They knocked out Duke once when they went on the road to Duke. They were able to hold with him 5 points, and then they also lost to UMass Lowell at home. They also got completely curb-stomped in a few other games in the non-conference, like against Georgia and what have you. So, it's been a very strange team. You've got a North Carolina bunch that has been very dominant with regards to their defense, having given up 70 points or fewer in every single game this month. So, interesting spot here. I am going to be willing to take the points with Georgia Tech. I did set this line in mind, and I did set my total at 153. I do think that Georgia Tech is going to be able to find a way to be able to put some points up on the board with the way that Georgia has been able to dole out the offense. This is a North Carolina team that has been a little bit strange with the way that they've been using Baycott as well. So, I'm going to be taking a look at this total over, and I'm going to be willing to take 10 plus here with Georgia Tech. 631, 632 on the banking board. Illinois State is going to be on the road facing off against Murray State. And Murray State does find themselves as a favorite of 6.5 points. So on this game is 130 with Murray State. I did set them as a favorite of 8 points. So this is a number that I'm going to be willing to lay. Very interesting that we've got a total of 130 as I did set my total at a 140. I recognize that Illinois State and Murray State are both well outside the top 200 with regards to total possessions per game, but it's not like you've got a pair of beastly defenses. Murray State has been a little bit better recently with regards to their defense, but you take a look at them overall for the season. Murray State, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, is about 188th in all of college basketball, and they're allowing about 3.8 points more per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter corner environment. Illinois State is actually giving up fewer points on the road rather than at home, but they're still about 143rd with this regard. Illinois State has been lackluster with regards to the way that they shoot the three. They're only shooting about 27 percent from the outside, but they do a relatively solid job of being able to hit the glass, being able to give themselves some second and third chances. Got a pair of guys in Kendall Lewis, Miles Foster, who have been able to combine for 13 rebounds per game, and Dalton Banks is in a nice job, giving you about three and a half assists, does a nice job flowing the offense with nine and a half points. He's able to give you a few boards per game as well, and this is a Murray State team that they're less than impressive on the glass. They're about 229th at all of college basketball in this regard, giving up a lot of second chances with Nick Ellington really being your main rebounder. He's been able to give the team points, 6.3 rebounds per game, and when it comes to Murray State, you do have a pair of good top flight guards in terms of being able to put the ball in the basket. Rob Perry, Jacoby Wood, they're averaging a combined about 
5.5 points, 2.3 steals, 6.5 assists, with Wood shooting 42% from three-point. And Murray State does a good job of valuing the ball. Only about 9.7 turnovers per contest now. For Murray State, the skids have been hit with regards to the offense. There's no question about that. They have scored 63 points or fewer in now four out of their last five games, but defensively. Still been a little bit of a question mark for them as well. Meanwhile, you've got an Illinois State team that maybe they would get to at least 69 points into other last three games. Doesn't sound like a ton, but you do have Darius Beford who's able to give you about 13.5 points per contest. It is an Illinois State team that I do think is going to be able to find some goals against a Murray State team that certainly has been allowing a lot of wide open threes as well. With Murray State, in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage, 302nd in all of college basketball at home. Opponents are shooting 39.1% against them, and this is an Illinois State team that it's also about 195th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Couple that with the fact that this could be a game that's close enough for late game. Following as I did set by number 88, I do think that this is too low of total. I'm going to be taking a look at the over and with Murray State, made them an eight-point favorite, so going to be one to lay the number. 633, 634 on the betting board. Loyal Chicago plays those to St. Louis. St. Louis is an underdog of eight points and your total it is 146 after 147 and with Loyal Chicago, I did set them as a favorite of eight and a half points. This is a number that I'm going to be one to lay with Loyal Chicago. This continues to be one of the better defensive teams in all of college basketball. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are still a top 50 team in the country. Now with Loyal Chicago, they're a very interesting rebounding team in that they're in the top 75 nationally. With regards to their rebound rate, they don't do a good job at all of being able to give themselves second and third chances, but at the same time, they don't allow you to have second and third chances as well. And they don't have a single guy on the roster that really gives you north of five rebounds per contest, but you've also got a St. Louis team that they've been very strong strange as well, and by strange, I mean they're playing absolutely no defense whatsoever in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Our good friends over there at St. Louis, they're clocking in outside the top 250. They've got Gibson Jimerson, who's been able to give you about 16.5 points, continues to shoot at north of a 35% clip from three-point, and now they do have Sincere Parker back in the fold. He was their top scorer prior to going down with an injury out there in the great state of South Carolina, but hasn't been himself. He was limited just 14 minutes in that game against UMass. Looked like he got rolled up upon once again. He had been playing limited minutes since his return as well, so if he does play in this game, you've got to figure that once again, he's going to be much less than 100%, and I was being too kind to St. Louis a little bit earlier with their defense. They're down to about 335th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do have a pair of guys that are able to give you something down, though. Terrence Hargrave Jr., Alonzo Bradley is a Ryro are able to combine for about 12 rebounds per game, and Hargrove is shooting 39% from 3 Brian. Just as the St. Louis team that is able to stroke it at about 36.5% from distance, and they do go up against the loyal Chicago team that does have a kryptonite of giving up a lot of open threes. During 18th in the country with that regard, but put in shooting north of 39% from 3 against loyal Chicago in a road slash recording environment, down to about 33.5% in their own games, and it's not like St. Louis is doing some amazing job of being able to lock down the arc as well. For St. Louis, in terms of opponent's 3-point shooting percentage, that's 225th in the country, allowing opponents to shoot 38% from the outside when they are away from home. You've been able to have a hole is greater than some of its parts. Loyal Chicago offense as your main man has been Philip Olsen, who's been able to give you about four boards, shipping in their 13.5 points per contest, but past that, you do have someone like a Dame Edelkuhn, who's been able to give you about nine points, shooting 40% from three. You've been able to get 40% three-point shooting out of Deadman Watson as well, so I do think that for St. Louis, they're just a little bit outgunned here, and this is a St. Louis team that, despite the fact that they go up against a slow 
and control the old Chicago team should be able to bomb it from three-pointers against them. And St. Louis, I do think that they themselves are going to be able to knock down a few threes here. It's the St. Louis team that's given up at least 84 points in four of their last five games, and a loyal Chicago team that has given up themselves at least 74 points in three of their last four games. So I did set my total 148.5, loan over, and with loyal Chicago, one to lay up to eight and not a half a point more with them. 635, 636 on the bank board. Oklahoma hits the road face off against Kansas State. Kansas State is a one and a half to a two and a half point favorite. Your total is between 136.5 and 137.5. Did set my total at 136. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. This is a Kansas State team that, my goodness, they have really turned over a new leaf with regards to their defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, one of the most impressive teams in this conference as they are clocking in right around 41st, and they are giving up eight points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And they do go up against an Oklahoma team that they've got some rather demonstrative home and road splits. As for Oklahoma, they are giving up about 15 points more per 100 possessions away from rather than at home. They're 27th of the country. There's points allowed on a per-possession basis, and the real forte of this Oklahoma team has been shutting you down from three-point range. Oklahoma's three-point shooting defense, 14th in all of college basketball, allowing opponents to shoot just 28.5% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment. Kansas State has done a good job of being able to lock down from three as well. 76th in the country with this regard, though, I will say for Kansas State, they allow opponents to shoot about 33% from three-point range at home. That's more around 49.5% in a roadside shoot court environment, but you do have to feel like Oklahoma and some of their top fight scores, they're starting to hit a little bit of a wall. One that I thought was going to be coming because you've had a pair of guys in Ortega away along with Javion McCollum who have been headlining the team with about 28 points per contest and McCollum shooting 36% from three. That's sustainable. Away is still shooting north of 50% from three, but that's been falling in the last few games. He was shooting north of 60% from three for much of the season. He just felt like the shoe was going to drop there and it is an Oklahoma team that much like Kansas State, they're going to turn the ball over. Kansas State, about 13.5 to 14 turnovers per game. Oklahoma, more like 13 turnovers per contest, and it's an Oklahoma team that has fallen on some tough times with regards to their offense, scoring fewer than 70 points in three of their last five games. And for Kansas State, you look at what this team has done, they just have not done a whole heck of a lot with regards to the offensive side of things. They have scored north of 70 points in just two out of their eight games as far this month, and if you want to go back a little bit further in regulation, so you take out the overtime sessions, this is a team that has gotten past the 70-point plateau in regulation three times since the beginning of the month of December, yet they just find a way to be able to pull off these wins. It's because you do have Arthur Kaluma, who's been all sorts of versatile, giving you 15.7 boards, 40% three-point shooter, really the main three-point shooter for a team that yeah, shoot about 31.7% from three. While Cam Carter is able to give you a little bit of everything, three assists, four and a half boards, 16 and a half points per contest, he's not necessarily a demonstrative three-point shooter, and Ty Perry just has not been necessarily the player that we were hoping you'd be. Still giving you 14 points per contest, but only shoots about 31% from three-point range, but this team has had Will McNerick, David and Gesson down low do a solid job. They're combining for about 13 rebounds per game, while Kaluma does also give you in that neighborhood about seven and a half rebounds per game as well. Kansas State, 83rd in all of college basketball with the rebound rate. And Oklahoma, despite the fact that they don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of six rebounds per game, as a matter of fact, Dale Moore at 5.6 rebounds per game leads the way. They're actually a top 25 team with regards to rebound rate. I do think that this is going to be very much a nip and tuck game. I did set my number at a two. Personally, I would rather lay one and a half 
rather than take two and a half, but mostly seeing two and a half out there in the market. So if this is two and a half or more, I'm going to be taking the points with Oklahoma State if we get down below two. That's my buy point on Kansas State. And with this total, seven nine out of 136. So looking at the under, 637, 638 on the bang board. That old Mississippi, the Egg Bowl. Old Miss plays us in Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a two to a two and a half point underdog. And your total on this game, it is 140 and a half to 141. I said Mississippi State is a three point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at them all right on the money line. I've just been thoroughly impressed by what I've been seeing out of this Mississippi State defense. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, this continues to be a top 25 team in the country. Now with Toldu Smith back in the fold with his 14 plus points, 7 plus rebounds per game. This is a team that's going to continue to do an absolutely tremendous job on the glass. And then you've got an Ole Miss team that they are outside the top 150 in terms of rebound rate, despite having Giants of the Earth, Jamarian Sharp, along with Musa Cisse. These two guys have been able to do a nice job of giving you blocks down low, especially Sharp, who's been able to give you about three and a half blocks per contest, but I do think that this is a Mississippi State team that's up for the task. We talked about this quite a bit with Blake Loveland, though he's a little bit inconsistent. Josh Hubbard has been able to give this team a lot more offensively than what we've seen in the past years out of Mississippi State. He's been able to be that guy, giving you 15 points, shooting about 36% from three points, having Smith back in the fold helps as Smith last year averaged about 14 points per contest. He's up to 17 in a small sample size thus far this season. For Mississippi State, they do still turn the ball over about 13 times per contest, and it's not like they're supreme with their three-point shooting, but when you've got DJ Jeffries, Charles Matthews, both being able to give you north of six rebounds per game, I mean, even mediocre three-point shooting is going to work in Ole Miss. They're a team that lives and dies by the three, but now you've got Alan Flanagan shooting less than 28% for distance. He's been able to supply 15.5 points per contest, and then Jalen Murray, along with Matthews, Morrell. They've been able to combine for about 32 points per contest as well, but this is a Ole Miss team that they were undefeated for so long. You felt like that shoe was going to drop, and it certainly has, and now they've been getting exposed as this is a team that, with regards to their three-point training defense, is about 65th in all of college basketball, but Mississippi State is far better. Fifth in the country with opponents shooting 26.6% from three-point range against them in a roadside shoot score environment, and outside of Flanagan, Morrell, Jalen Murray, along Jamie Brakefield, you don't have a single guy in the roster. They're really gives you north of six points per contest. Brandon Murray has yet to make that impact since coming into the fold. And I do think that with the way that Mississippi State is able to lock you down on defense, they're going to be able to keep this game relatively low scoring and get it done. I did some Mississippi State as a three-point favorite. Looking at them on the money line. Did some my total at 139. So also looking under 639, 640 on the bank bar. Lindenwood is going to be playing us to Southeast Missouri State. Southeast Missouri State finds themselves as a three to three and a half point underdog. Your totals between 137 and 137 half. Did some my total at 141. Going to be looking at the over. Both of these teams are well outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Both of these teams well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So this is going to be in my opinion a very grody and just strange game to say the least for Southeast Missouri State. Not a single guy in the roster gives you north of four rebounds per game. As a matter of fact both of these teams outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate. But Lindenwood has the best player out there on the floor. That would be Keenan Cole. 19 points, 6 boards. Not shooting him up from 3 par inches as a whole a Lindenwood team that shoots 28.5% from 3 par inch. Southeast Missouri State as a whole shoots 29.5% from 3 par inch with 13 turnovers per game. Aquin Smart, Rob Martin, that's the duo in the backcourt for Southeast Missouri State. They will give you about 21 points, 6 assists per contest, but they also turn the ball over about 4.7 times per contest. You've been able to have Josh Early give you about 4 rebounds per game, and ever since he's back in the fold, Dylan Branson has not lived up to what he did a season ago. Last year, he was about a 34% 3-point shooter, gave you about 5 boards per contest. This 
this year. Four points, three and a half rebounds, and now it looks like he's banged up once again. Just less than ideal for this team. And for Lindenwood, you don't have a facilitator out there. Nobody on the roster gives you north of 2.2 assists per contest, but at the very least, you've got Darius Bean, who's able to give you 12 and a half points per contest. You've got Jeremiah Tolton, who's been able to give you seven and a half points from three points. He's shooting about 37 and a half percent from three. And this is a Lindenwood team that they are 328th in the country in terms of opponents' three point shooting percentage. They're allowing opponents to shoot 45 and a half percent from three-point range at home. Certainly with this Southeast Missouri State team, that should be going down. And Southeast Missouri State, they themselves are about 147th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. But I do think that we're going to see a lot of similarities to what we saw the first time around. And first time around, these two teams played a few weeks ago, and they set that total more around at 146, which was ridiculous. But in that game, Lindenwood went on the road. They won that game 74-68. to In that affair, you saw both of these teams combined to shoot about 33% from three-point range. It was a rather yucky game, and Lindenwood was just a little bit more efficient. I think we see something very similar here. Set my total on 141.5 at the 137. Look it over. And Lindenwood set them as a 5.5 point favorite, so one to lay up to 5 with them. 641, 642 on the bank board. Colorado State plays us to San Diego State. Old San Diego State is an underdog of 1 to 1.5 points. Tonight's game going to be getting at between 141 and 141.5. And, and with Colorado State, I'm going to be one to lay the number. I did set them as a 4.5 point favorite with San Diego State. Jaden Ledee is going to be the best low post player in this game. He's done a tremendous job with about 7 boards, 19 plus points per contest, but the backcourt of Colorado State, I do think is going to be a tough guard for the San Diego State team that has been a little bit all over the place this season. With San Diego State, there will be like one week where they're playing at an almighty fast tempo, and then they look like they're playing at North Texas's speed from a season ago. It's been very rhymeless and reasonless. They've been dealing with injuries to Darian Trammell all season long, and this has been a squad that has been very up and down with regards to the way that they've been able to operate things, and I do think that this is a Colorado State team that is going to be able to take it to them with the way that they're able to run things around the perimeter. You've got Isaiah Stevens, one of the best point guards in all of college basketball, giving you seven half assists to just over two and a half turnovers per game. A Colorado State team that, as a whole, is one of the top teams from three-point land in all of college basketball, shooting north of 50% from the floor, 37% from three-point range, and it is a San Diego State team that, to their credit, they are 20 first in all of college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percentage defense. This is a Colorado State team that is at home is allowing opponents to shoot 36.5% from the outside, but I do think that the good offense is able to trump the good defense in this one, especially with someone like a Patrick Cartier, who's saying six foot eight, bombing it at 44.5% from three, and I just still can't get over how big of an impact Joel Scott has made on this team. Comes in from D2, Black Hills State College, 11.5 points, 6 boards, a block, a seal per contest. He has been absolutely magnificent for this team. And when it comes to San Diego State, outside of Ladie, you've had Micah Parrish, Reese Waters be able to give you about 22 points per contest, but they've been really rudderless with regards to their outside shooting, shooting about 31.5% for 3 point range. Expected a little bit more out of Lamont Butler this season. And for Colorado State, while they're not amazing on defense, they're just good enough defensively, and I do think that this is just such a tough place to be able to play. You take a look at Colorado State and overall for the season in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, this defense clocks in 23rd, but they are able to score about 11.6 points more per one hundred possessions, and I think that they're going to be able to get it done against the San Diego State team that certainly has had their issues on the road this season, so it is a spot where I'm going to be willing to lay it with Colorado State. Made them a 4.5 point favorite, and did set my total at 140.5. I do think that San San Diego State going to look to slow things down. I do think that three-point shooting defense is going to be able to keep this a little bit lower scoring. So looking at the under and looking at Colorado State laying the number. 
44 on the betting board. Air Force plays us Wyoming. Wyoming is an underdog of three and a half to four points. Totals between 137 and 138 and a half with Wyoming. I did set them as an underdog of two and a half points. So I'm going to be willing to take three plus here with Wyoming. This team is used to being at elevation, having funky travel spots in general. And for Wyoming, this team is able to really light it up from three-point range. For Wyoming, you've got a pair of guys in a cool cut, although I'm saying Griffin, who have been able to combine for 34 points on north of 41.5% three-point shooting. And Wyoming as a whole, they shoot 38.6% from three-point range. And strangely, Wyoming has actually been much better with their defense away from home rather than at home. Now, the offense, that does take a nosedive along with the three-point shooting, but Wyoming away from home is allowing opponents to shoot just 29.4% from three-point range. That compares to 37% at home. And this Air Force team, you'd expect them to have a really good home court advantage. They really haven't had that. They're about to earn ninth in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage overall, but Air Force is actually giving up 3.6 points more per one-hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. Meanwhile, Wyoming, they're not great with their defense. They're 288th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but home and road, they're giving up about the same amount of points per one-hour possessions, and I just don't think you're going to get another triple-double of Ryan Petratus like we saw against UNLV over the past week, and it is a Air Force team that they really do have a big three, and Petratus, who's able to give you 17 points, six boards, four assists, more than a steal and a block per contest, and then Ethan Taylor, along with Bo Becker, combined for a little bit over 32 points. Both of these guys shoot north of 40% from three-point, but it is an Air Force team that they play at a slow tempo. They do turn the ball for 12 and a half times for contest. Now, Wyoming they themselves have had their turnover woes thus far this season, but I do fear that the top heaviness of Air Force is going to be a little bit rough, and for Air Force, how were they able to piggyback off of prosperity after taking down UNLV? Well, they got drawn by double figures against Fresno State. And this has been an Air Force team that has really been giving it up defensively. This team has now given up 78 plus points in three of their last four games. Offensively, they've been a little bit better, getting to at least 67 points in now four of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's a Wyoming squad that they certainly have had their warts with regards to their defense, giving up 76 plus in four of their last five games. Do I have to wonder if it's a little bit of a letdown spot for Wyoming after the way that they were able to come back and win an overtime against Colorado State? But I do think that they go into Air Force. I do think that both of these teams calm down just just a little bit, and Wyoming is going to be able to hold in there. I did set my line at a two and a half, so here at North of three, going to be taking a look at the points with Wyoming, and here at a 137 to 138, looking at the under semi total 134 and a half, 645, 646 on the bank board. Utah State plays us to San Jose State. Old San Jose State is an underdog of 12 to 13 points. So now this game, between 149 and a half at 150, and I did set my total 151. I'm looking at the over. San Jose State is still outside the top two with regards to total possessions per game, but they've been speeding up this season, and for San Jose State, it's been a rough defense. They're well outside the top 250. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis, but San Jose State has been able to generate some offense when they've been on the road. They're overall for the season about 130th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but you look at them in a roadside shooter court environment, they're only scoring about four points fewer per one hour possessions when they're away from home rather than when they are at home. Their road offensive efficiency is on par with the likes of Michigan and Michigan State, so that's been quite impressive. Top 100 with that regard. They're going up against the Utah State team though that, I mean, this team has been incredible with what they've been able to get out of great of the boards. Everything darn near a double-double. Utah State ranks 
35th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Now, for Utah State, they've had a few doldrum games with regards to their defense where they've been getting a little bit carved up, but I do think that with San Jose State, they are going to be a little bit too hot, top-heavy in the spot to really give too much chase to Utah State. With San Jose State, you've got four guys that are able to do a nice job of being able to put the ball in the bucket. Trey Anderson, Tebeck Gronera combined for about 25 points per contest, and then Alvaro Cardenas is your main facilitator, 38.5% three-point shooter, 13 points, six boards, and then you get Mr. Myron Amy, who's been able to give you 16 points as the main scorer, shooting 36% from three. Aside these main four guys, don't have a single guy that also gives you anything north of 5.3 points per game. You've got Adrame Diongue, who comes over from Senegal, who's been able to give you about a block and a half, two blocks per contest, but for this Utah State team, they should be able to win the battle down low. They've been able to get some really good production out of the likes of Josh Uduje, who comes over from Coastal Carolina. He gives you nine points. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to give you some relatively solid defense, but Darius Brown is really the engine that makes this thing run. Seven assists to 1.6 turnovers per game. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. And Utah State is a top 35 team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, despite the fact that they only shoot 32% from three-point range. You have to be really, really good at everything else to do so, and they are. They're 32nd in the country with regards to rebound rate. Meanwhile, the San Jose State team, they have tumbled all the way down to 301st, so Utah State should be able to win that battle down low. And now they've been able to get quite a bit out of Mason Falsellov, hopefully I said that correctly. A true freshman who's come in, given the team 11.5 points, doesn't shoot it well from three, but nearly two steals, four and a half rebounds. He just is a do-it-all sort of guy for a Utah State team that they do a nice job of being able to mix a match around Osaborin. It's a San Jose State team that they've just been getting absolutely carved up on defense. This team has now given up at least 75 points in all but one game thus far this month. Now for Utah State, they have given up north of 80 points in three of their last four games, but... Offense has been very consistent, getting past the 80-point plateau each other last five games. So I did set my total at 151. I think that Utah State just continues to do a tremendous job on offense. I'm looking at the over, and I did set my line at a 13. So here at the 12, 12 and a half, I'm willing to lay it with Utah State to go along with this little over 647, 648 on the bank board. Michigan State plays us in Michigan. Michigan is an underdog of 11 to 11 and a half points to this game between 145 and 145 and a half. And I did set Michigan as an underdog of 11 points. At the 11 and a half, that is my buy point. It is a Michigan State team that they still do leave a little bit of something to be desired down low. This has been a team that has been in the top 75 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And for Michigan, their top scorer, Doug McDaniel, he's suspended once again because for some reason he's only suspended for road games. But he's been able to supply 17 points, five assists. That is going to be sorely missed as you take a look at Michigan in their first two games without Doug McDaniel on the road. And they have scored 57 and 67 points respectively. So you do have to say your totals lower with Michigan when they are on the road. As a result, I did set my total at 145. So here at the 145 and a half, diving in on the under, you've got a Michigan State team that they've also been playing some eyesores of games. They've given up 71 points or fewer in four of their last five games. It is a Michigan State team that they are sort of a live or die with a three sort of team. They're shooting about 36.5% from distance. Trey Allman does shoot 43.5% for three, but only about six points per contest out of him. Ty Walker is able to give you 19 points per contest. Good news for them is that they go up against a Michigan team as well outside the top 200. When the opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And for this Michigan team overall, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are 311th in the country. Honestly, in their two games without Doug McDaniel, they haven't been the world's worst with regards to their defense, but now you don't have your main floor general out there, which means you're seeing a lot more of Jalen Llewellyn. You've been able to get right around seven boards, 16.5 points per game, though, out of Olivier Kamwa. And I do think that the one way that Michigan is going to be able to hold in this game is down low. As Matty Sissoko has been playing a little bit better for Michigan State, but 
Michigan is about 109th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Michigan State is about 132nd. You're just expecting a little bit more out of some of these big men. Meanwhile, you've been able to get about four and a half boards, 12 and a half points out of Terrence Williams. Well, he's been able to shoot 41% for three-point range. Will Shedder has really fallen off a little bit with regards to his production, but he's still shooting 59% from three-point range. This is a Michigan State team that is going to be a much better three-point shooting defense than most of the ones that Michigan has seen thus far this season. But as we know with rivalries, sometimes you want to chuck out the record book. It is a Michigan State team that is allowing opponents to shoot at home just 29.1% from three-point range. But that said, I do think that with Michigan not having Doug McDaniel in the full, they're going to look to scrape it out a little bit more. They're going to be looking to make things a little bit more grimy. And against a team like Michigan State, that's really looking to be grimy themselves, I think there might be some success to be had. So I set my line at 11 and 11 half. That is my buy point on Michigan. And did something total 145. So you're at the 145 and half. Diving under 649, 650 on the betting board. DePaul is playing out to Seton Hall. Seton Hall is a favorite of 10 to 10 and a half points. Totals between 140 and a half and 141. With Seton Hall, I did set them as a 13 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Now DePaul has looked a little bit better ever since they announced that they're going to be looking for a new coach in the offseason. And said, this is still a really sad DePaul team that even though they looked a little bit better against Marquette and Creighton being able to get covers in both of those games. It's not like it's been too incredible for this team on offense. 62 points or fewer scored in three out of the team's last four games. The defense continues to be a sieve. 85 plus points allowed in four of their last five games. DePaul doesn't have a single guy in the roster that averages north of 4.1 rebounds per game. They are outside the top 275 in terms of both offensive and defensive efficiency. While Chico Carter does shoot 37.5% from three in, this is a relatively nation average three-point shooting team at 34.5% percent. There's just not a lot that's going right for them right now. And they go up against the Seton Hall team that in the last week it was rough for them. They have given up now at least 75 points in two of their last three games. But that's because the Creighton game went to triple overtime. I do think that these guys are going to be able to bounce back. They were without Kadari Richmond last week. I think that there's a good likelihood that he plays here. Probably going to be less than 100% if he goes, but 16.5 points, 7 boards, 5 assists, 2.2 seals per contest. And this is one of these rare scenarios where it really doesn't mean a ton if he is slash is not going to be out there just because the Pauls had awful. I wish I could put it any other way. Alamir Dawes, Dre Davis, they combine for about 28 points per contest. They combine and shoot about 35.5 to 36% from the outside. They're getting some versatility out of Elijah Hutchins Everett as well, shooting 37.5% from distance, but Sinal has been able to do a nice job down low with Jane Abediaco leading the way, being able to supply the team with about 7.5 rebounds per game, and for Sinal, they should be able to win this battle on the glass very convincingly. They're 20th in the country with regards to rebound rate, and our good friends to Paul are currently clocking in outside the top 330. This should be a total domination for Sinal. The question is whether or not this is just a case of too many points, and I think the answer is no. Fully recognize that Sinal has been struggling to deal with the injury to Kadari Richmond, but this football team is Sad, rudderless, and quite frankly, doesn't have a lot to play for. I did set my number at 13. I'm going to be willing to lay the 10 to 10 and a half here with Seton Hall. I did set my total at 141. Here at a 140 and a half, I'm looking at the over just because I think that Seton Hall can get well north of 80 up on the board against the Paul. So, when I the over and willing to lay with Seton Hall. 651, 652 on the betting board. Kansas plays us Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, a 14 and a half to a 15 point underdog with your total between 145 and 145 and a half. Set my line at 15 and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay the number as Kansas team moves. Best Andrew. Beat this far this season has been their defense. This is a top 30 team with regards to points allowed.
out on a per possession basis. The offense, it still is a little bit of a work in progress. You could use ancillary pieces to be able to step up for the team, but you've got a really nice big three to be able to utilize. Kevin McCullough has been able to give you 20 points, six half boards, four and a half assists. Hunter Dickinson is seeing his three point shooting percentage fall, but he's still giving you 11 half boards, 19 points per game. You just need a bit more out of the likes of a Jackson for a few. He's been getting more minutes recently, and now he's up to eight points per contest on 41% three point shooting. 13 plus points in each of the last four games. This is what we wanted to see out of him. It feels like he's really starting to turn the corner for this team, and that could be the missing link for this Kansas team. Meanwhile, Marco Jackson just has not really panned out this season, but you've got Dwan Harris give you about seven assists while shooting 44% for three. Would like to see him be a little bit more assertive, but does a good job being the floor general of this team. And for Oklahoma State, they're not a bad three-point shooting team. They do shoot about 35.5% from three-point range, but they have a rough time taking care of the ball. They're giving the ball away with about 13 and a half turnovers per game. It's an Oklahoma State team that is not bad with regards to their three-point shooting defense. They're about 133rd in all of college basketball in that regard, but it is very hard to be able to get good open looks against Kansas at the Fog. For Kansas, they're about 162nd in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but... That's also about 32.6% when they are at home. This has been a Kansas team that hasn't been like supreme with regards to generating turnovers, but at the same time, they've been pretty functional with that regard. They're about 160th in all of college basketball. It's an Oklahoma State team that has been able to get quite a bit out of Javon Small this year. He's been able to chip in there 14 plus points, 4 plus boards, 4 plus assists, so pretty well-rounded guy, but for Oklahoma State, this is a team that over the last few years with the likes of Moose and Cissé and company, they're used to just being absolutely dominant on the glass, and they just don't have that this year. You've had Keon Jackson who's been able to give you a few rebounds. He's been able to do a relatively solid job with that regard but they don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you an earth of six half rebounds per game. As a result Oklahoma State, they're down to about 84th in the country with regards to the rebound rate. Kansas, they're hovering more in that neighborhood about 62nd in the country. And I do think that Oklahoma State, a team that's a little bit more wobbly down low, a team that has been having ups and downs with the likes of Bryce Thompson who's been able to shoot 35% for three, chip in their double figures but sometimes it feels like it could be a little bit all or nothing. I do think the Kansas should be able to get it done on their home floor against an Oklahoma State team that just has not been efficient in general. Recently having scored 70 points or fewer in each of their last five games and last time they faced off against Kansas, Kansas went into Stillwater and they just took it to them 90-66 to absolutely bashing them in down low and I could see that happening once again here. I did set a little bit of a lower total, semi-total at a 141.5. I do think that Oklahoma State continues to have a rough time with their offense so looking at the under and one to lay up to 15 with Kansas. 650 654 on the betting board. Clemson plays those to Louisville. Louisville is a 16 to 16 and a half point underdog. Totals between 149.5 and 150.5 with Louisville. I did set them as an underdog of 18 points. I'm going to be willing to lay with Clemson. Clemson does have their warts on defense. They're well outside the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. That said, this is a Louisville team that after they had a nice little run where they were able to get that nice win over Miami, they were able to hold in there against NC State. Now it feels like it's crashing back down to earth. 70 points or fewer scored in each other last four games and they have now given up at least 83 points in four other last five games. For Louisville, you do have Brandon Hundley Hatfield doing nice work down low, about 11 points, eight and a half rebounds per game. But what has been really rough for this team in general has been the way that they've been able to take care of the ball. 12 and a half turnovers per game. 
Sky Clark, Mikey James, they're combining for about 27 points per game, with James being your main three-point shooter at about 39%, but Clark in his three turnovers per game, that's a little bit unsightly going up against Clemson team that is one of the best in all of college basketball taking care of the ball. 10.4 turnovers per game, there's just nobody on the Louisville side that, in my opinion, is going to be able to match up with P.J. Hall. Seven boards, 19.5 points, he's able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. You've got a Clemson team that, as a whole, they have seen a little bit of a drop-off with their three-point shooting. They're now shooting about 35.7% from three-point range, but still have someone in Joe Girard shooting north of 42% for three, 15 points per contest. You've still been able to get about 12 points in the neighborhood, about two and a half to three assists per contest of Chase Hunter as well. He's only shooting about 27% from the outside this season, but Clemson, a much different team at home rather than in a roadside shoot to current environment. And this, despite the fact that their three-point shooting percentage is relatively equal, both at home and on the road, this is a Clemson team that also has Ian Shefflin doing nice work down low for the team, being able to supply about 9.5 rebounds per game. That's why Clemson has been 28th in the country. With regards to rebound rate, you've got a Louisville team that's clocking in more around 200th, and with the way that Louisville's been playing, no defense whatsoever, I think that they're going to be giving it up to a Clemson team that they just continue to find a way to be able to get to 70+. plus. They themselves have had their defensive woes, but I do think that they're going to be able to take it to Louisville. I did set my total on 148 just because this is still a Clemson team as well outside the top 175 with regards to total possessions per game. I just don't know if Louisville's going to be able to do their part with this total as well. So, diving in on the under, and I'm going to be one to lay with Clemson. 655, 656 on the bank board. NC State plays us Miami. Miami is an underdog of three points with your total 152, and with Miami, I did set them as a underdog of two and a half points. So, here at the three, I'm going to be willing to take it with Miami. This team has been able to do a really good job of being able to just guard the three point arc. Top 35 team in the country with that regard, and they've got a lot of guys that they themselves bomb it from three-point range. Of your top six scores, five of them shoot at least 37.7% from three-point range. Your lone outlier is Benley Joseph, who's giving you eight and a half points, three and a half assists, two seals per contest. Now, where you're able to bash this Miami team in is down low. Even though you do have no Chad Omir, who's been able to give you about 10 rebounds per game, 18 points per contest. He's been playing a little bit more on the outside this season, and the good news for Miami with regards to having some weaknesses down low is that NC State is only about 216th in the country with regards to rebound rate. They've only got one guy on the roster, Mohamed Diara, who gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game. Now what NC State does really well is take care of the ball. In terms of turnovers per possession, top 15 team in all of college basketball, Michael O'Connell, even though he doesn't score a lot, he only gives you about 5 points per contest, has been the biggest reason why. Meanwhile, you've got DJ Turner up horn, shooting about 41% from 3, 15 points per contest, but NC State really doesn't take a lot of threes because they don't have very good 3-point shooting. Other than Horn, you really don't have anyone else on the roster that's averaging more than 3.5 points per contest and shooting above 33.5% from 3-point range. But you do have someone like a Ben Middlebrooks who's able to give you about 4 rebounds per game. It is an NCC team that they're much more in their element when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. But they themselves have been struggling a little bit more with regards to their offense, scoring 65 or fewer in each of their two games. Meanwhile, the defense certainly has been slipping as well. They've given up at least 76 points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's Miami squad that's been slowed down as well. Last time they were able to exceed the 75-point plateau, you have to go all the way back to their overtime game against Wake Forest um, in regulation and regulation only. This is a Miami squad that last time they got past 75 was all the way back on January 3rd, so makes it a little bit of a tricky ordeal, but I do think that this is one of those times where Miami is able to leap out with regards to their offense. I did set my total 156 at because I do think that there's going to be some late game following. We haven't seen this NCC team as well. Really surrendering some stuff from outside as well. 229th of the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. It's a Miami team that I think that we're going to start to see a little bit of regression moving forward with their 
20th ranked opponents three-point shooting defense as well. And for NC State, I do think that they're going to be able to do a nice job of being able to night down low and get buckets that way as well. So did set my line at two and a half. Going to be willing to take three plus here with Miami. And looking at the over, as I said, my total at 156 half, 657, 658 on the bank board, Gonzaga plays us a loyal Marymount. The Mount finds themselves as underdogs of between 16 to 16 and a half points, 152 to 152 and a half is your total. So my total at 151 half, looking at the under, it's a Gonzaga team that now ranks in the top 40 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And they have been a different team at the kennel rather than on the road. For Gonzaga, they're giving up right in the neighborhood about six points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. Meanwhile, you've got a loyal Marymount team that is well outside the top 225 with regards to total possessions per game. And the Mount, I'm not saying that they're amazing with regards to their defense, but they did a quality job over the weekend hanging in there against St. Mary's. And for loyal Marymount, this team does rank about 180th in all of college basketball. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. They need to get more out of Kelly Leu Pepe because you've got Anton Watson, Graham Ike down low for Gonzaga. These two guys, they've been able to combine for 15 rebounds, 30 points per contest, and both shoot north of 40% for three. Those are your superstars. Ryan Nemar, the guys in the backcourt like Nolan Hickman, they aren't that, though. Hickman does shoot 37% for three with 13 points per contest, and for Nemar, it feels like it's getting better with him. Six assists to 2.3 turnovers per game. He's now shooting about 28% for three, which doesn't sound like much, but better than what it was previously, and he's Turned the ball over a grand total five times over the team's last five games. So it was a little bit unsightly what we saw in that game against Pacific over the weekend. Ben Greg has been able to do a solid job as well. But for Loyola Marymount, the team does a good job of valuing the ball themselves. Only turned the ball over about 11.3 times for contest. Justice Hill, 4.2 assists and 1.8 turnovers per game. Having been at LSU and Murray State, he knows how to run a good, efficient offense. And you've got Dominic Harris, the Gonzaga transfer, who wants to stick it to his whole team. He's shooting 43.5% from three-point range with 14.5 points per contest. Contest going up against a Gonzaga unit that has been able to do a solid job of being able to guard the arc on the road. At home, different story though. They are allowing opponents to shoot about 35% from three-point range. And this is a loyal Marymount team that they themselves are a top 55 team in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. This is just not the same Gonzaga offense that we've seen in past years. So I did set my line at a 15 half, getting 16 plus. I'm going to be one to take the points with the mount. And did set my total 151 half. So one under and looking at loyal Marymount with the points that we wrap things up with 659. 660 on the bang board. UNLV plays us to Fresno State. Fresno State does find themselves as an underdog of nine points. So on this game is 142 and a half. Last we saw UNLV at home, they were getting just completely smoked by Air Force. I did think that you get a better effort here. I did say UNLV as a nine and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay nine and not a half a point more. Fresno State has just had such a difficult time taking care of the ball. They are turning the ball over north of 14 times for contests. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they are bottom 50 team in all of college basketball. And the key for UNLV is being able to guard the three-point arc because this is a Fresno State team that all of a sudden has been one that has been very reliant upon the three ball. They bring in Xavier DeSalle from Wyoming, giving you about 10 points on 40% three-point shooting, and then Donovan Yap, Isaiah Hill. They've been able to combine for 22 points on about 36% three-point shooting. Yap has been able to give you two assists per contest. Hill, 6.1 assists per contest, but those turnovers have been all sorts of unsightly. UNLV not generating quite as many turnovers as they did a season ago, but it's gotten a little bit better, but for UNLV, even with the Boone brothers in the fold, this is still a team that is well outside the top 240 with regards to their rebound rate, and they're allowing opponents to shoot 39.5% from three-point range when they are at home. They are going against a Fresno State defense, so that certainly does have their deficiencies as well. Fresno State, 347th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents on a three-point shooting percentage, and this is a UNLV team that even with Jalen Hill being out of the full, they have still been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to find some 
good production out there in the backcourt. You've got Luis Rodriguez. He comes in from Ole Miss, and he's been Mr. Do-It-All for the team, giving you about six boards. He's able to chip in there 12-plus points per contest, and then you've been able to have a young freshman be able to step up and just really lead the way in Dedrin Thomas. About 12 points, 6.3 assists on 36.5% three-point shooting, while turning the ball over just two times per game. It is a UNLV team, and it's only shooting about 33.5% from three-point range, but you've been able to get a little bit more out of Justin Webster, who's been very hit or miss all season long as you know, scored in the team's last four games, 415, 3, and 14 points. You don't know whether you're going to get good Mr. Webster or bad Mr. Webster. And for Fresno State, it's about Anyak Boyaki, along Eduardo Andre 3000 down low. These two guys, they've been able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game with both of these guys. They're able to do a solid job of blocking some shots as well. Both give you a little bit north of a block per contest, but also with Fresno State, they shoot 66% at the free throw line. And this is a UNLV team that they've got some just very, very interesting results on the ledger. They lose that game at home by 32 to Air Force just weeks after they had taken down Creighton by double figures at home. I mean, it's rhymeless. It's reasonless with them. UNLV, 275th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Actually giving up two points more per one on possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. Fresno State, they're clocking in with regards to their defensive efficiency more on 273rd. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that UNLV getting that win over the weekend was just very big for them. I feel like this was a band of a little bit of misfit pieces that is starting to come together as well. So, did somebody total 139 and a half. You've got a pair of teams outside the top 200 with regards to total possessions per game, and I do think that both of these teams could have cooled down a little bit with their three-point shooting. So, looking at the under, semi line at a 9.5 as well, so willing to lay up to 9 with the UNLV, and that'll wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we will fire those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline, at gdn underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters EM, maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much Appreciate it. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Big thanks once again to Blake Lovell of Southeastern 14 for joining me in my segment. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you, and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break 
and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 